was so weak. How many beer? How many beers are you? Dude, we're working here, Brad. How many? Are you just sitting in a pile of beer cans right now? What's going on over there? Yeah, that's my life now. You have children. You always claim to me you're working. You fucking better be with our Patreon the way it is. Jesus. Oh, come on. I came home from a hard day's work. I had one bit burger. <laughs> How quick does it like from walking through the door to to cracking the can? How long does it take? <sighs> it doesn't take very long. Do you have like one of those, you know, how like a real drunk will be like, hey, <laughs> I don't start drinking till five every day. So that means I have it under control. <laughs> Do you have like an amount of time that makes you think yeah. it's okay? So the, usually when you I, don't wa- put that when I walk in the door, I have like a few options. One is, am I going to be making dinner tonight? Right. I look around and I can figure that out pretty quickly based on like uh-huh. what my wife is doing or maybe what kind of mood she's in okay, or whether she's already put out some food. Uh-huh. And then I usually pop a beer while I'm like start preparing dinner. Mm-hmm. What if you don't have dinner? Dinner's all taken care of. So this evening, I came into my studio, which you can use your imagination, all you fans out there. (laughs) Uh, And uh, everybody else was doing other things. I realized that I wasn't going to be making dinner tonight. So I started actually working on this podcast, putting together some notes and things, getting Uh the, uh, the RSS feed ready. And I was like, mm-hmm. I should be doing this with a beer. So then I went and grabbed a beer and popped a beer. <laughs> this is how we get episode number 124 every once in a while. I'm like, where's the episode? Oh, it's way back in the log. <laughs> this is how it happens. This will probably be my only beer for the, for the evening. Okay. I'm not judging. I really don't care. I think it's great. You're clearly not a drunk. Well, I don't know. You could be. The best drunks are super secretive. Remember mm. that? That show House of Cards, he was, I always remember this because he was such a good drunk. Wait, what was the, there was the two House of shows. I'm talking about Kevin Spacey, not Don Cheadle. <laughs> Is that House of Cards? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, okay. Well, the the alcoholic, oh, who we had on this yeah, program. I was just going to say, talk about yeah. Michael. <laughs> yeah, Michael. Michael yeah, Kelly. Michael Kelly. <laughs> I, when we talked about it in that episode. I'd always like, I always thought that was the craziest thing, how... I'm like, oh, I never knew a drunk could do that when he put like two ounces of whiskey and like a, you know, a little, uh, a little vial and shot it into his mouth and like had it all mathematically down to the ounce. I'm like, that is some very, very skilled addiction. You know, some people are really good at this. You'll never know. Take it to the next level. Have you ever been shocked by that? Like, there's been a couple times in my life where there's been like, and I, I'm I I think I'm pretty astute, you know. I didn't go to school, but like one of the the things that that's given me is I have a lot of anecdotal experience, and I have a lot of it in subversive places. <laughs> so I know what's going on, basically. <laughs> but there's been a couple times in my life where I've been like totally bombshelled, where someone's been like, "Yeah, that is that's been a proper like pill addict." For like the last like 20 years. And I had no idea. You ever had one of those? Uh, 
I, you know, no, but I've had like the opposite, like where, you know, like I've always been, I've always been very, I don't know. I've either been naive or too trusting of people to the point where like you could, I it's, I've been knocked over the head with, with like the fact that somebody's up to something and, and I, I'm the last one to like, maybe not to know, but the last one to kind of like realize, like you know, people are like, yeah, what the fuck? Yeah. You didn't know he's a fucking cokehead for the last five years. No, I thought he was just chatty. But he was really happy to see me and really, really wanted to talk about like what it would be like if he had a lawn and could mow it. You know, I, don't right, know. I thought he was just one of those guys who rubbed his face a lot. <laughs> you know, <laughs> one of those. <laughs> well, you know, who's not shady at all. Yes, I do. You. The who? Me? <laughs> no, I'm, I, you know, I got my own shit. But it's the group Gates and Kevin Dye. They are the nicest, most pure band on, on the planet. Really? In my eyes. I mean, listen, I'm biased because I love these boys. I'll get into that a little bit. They're from New Jersey. But they're one of those bands that from the second they came out, you know, they had sort of this unique sound, unique vision, the way they played live, bringing, uh, you know, lights into the mix. It's kind of really broody. It's always been really tight. And it's just one of those things that has been uh, excellent from the get go. And I've been rooting for um, as far as, you know, as long as they've been a group. But part of that is because they're always just doing things right. It's like, they're one of those bands where everything is internal, you know, the, the writing is internal, the recordings internal, the production, uh, the design, the layouts, like every single person in the band is an artist ah. and they all contribute in these different ways to like the overall aesthetic of the band. And it kind of leads to this just like really sort of deep open thing. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's really great. So that's my uh, my little shtick about Gates, and and this is great timing because of everything we get into in this interview. And they were slowing down. They just released uh, or are announced today the release of a new album coming out, uh, first one, and I believe like six years. Mm-hmm. So it's their big uh, big coming out party again. <laughs> now I have a deep history with them dating back pretty far because I think we've discussed it a couple of times on the program, Brad, that uh, I used to be the night production manager of a newspaper mm. in New Brunswick. Good job. And in, in this um, position, I was able to hire and fire, which was, you know, a fun piece of power I haven't often had in my life. Is it? It seems like a little bit, it could be a little stressful to have that power. It is. It is. It can be. Luckily, <laughs> some people can't handle that power. They don't want it. The hiring part, super easy. And that's part of the the story here is, you know, I was hiring for a paginator position at one point and, you know, went out into the, you know, Rutgers community to try to find a, a young, eager buck. <laughs> and one of the people who came in was Mike Maroney, bass player of the Gates, uh, when he was, I don't know, 18, 19, like a freshman at Rutgers. And I kind of liked his vibe when he walked in. I was like, all right, this guy looks like, you know, 
maybe he's a little alternative already. And essentially my criteria was like, I can teach anyone this job who knows how to work a computer. Like, do I want to sit in this office with you all night? Right. You know? And that was kind of my criteria. And apparently I, my, my interview was like, so you, you know how to do Max? And he said, yes. And I was like, so you like uh, you're pretty chill or something like that? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, all right. Like, <laughs> want to work here? So I hired Mike, um, the bass player from Gates, and through the course of, you know, piecing it together through the years, uh, it turned out he was good friends with other people I knew. And, and it's sort of interconnected. And um, eventually, as the years go on, we were starting a band, a hardcore band, and uh, we needed some extra parts. And I was like, yeah, let's get Mike to play bass. So Mike became the bass player of Bottom Feeder, my oh. hardcore band. And then he was like, we were like, oh, you know, we should add another guitar to this whole mix. He's like, I know the, the best guy. And Dan King from Gates became the... Uh, guitar player from Bottom Feeder. So two-fifths of this group is in a hardcore band with me. <laughs> um, and what else are the connections? Kevin produced uh, the last uh, Bottom Feeder record. Oh. Gates and Gaslight Anthem went on tour together. There's even a, uh, a YouTube somewhere of me uh, jumping on stage during a Gates song and playing some extra Floor Tom. <laughs> um Dan King was the one who uh was the uh graphic element of the 59 sound book that I produced. Ah. Um and him and I worked in lockstep doing that. So these are very good friends of mine and great people. I got to come clean about something. I had to g- We talked already about how I was kind of a shitty industry dude in booking this. But <laughs> Since I know these guys, you know, I had hit up Kevin and I'm like, yeah, you know, do you want to do the interview with one of the other guys maybe? And we're talking about who and he hit me back and he's like, oh, I'm going to sit this one out and Mike and Dan are going to do it. Oh, and I had to make like a shitty executive decision, Brad, which was I am not going to do a podcast with two of my friends who we're going to wind up talking about like diner pancakes and <laughs> inside jokes and fucking around. Cause that was our thing with bottom feeder. You know, we, the part of the bottom feeder spirit was like, when we got together to practice, it was only half about music. And the other half was about growing down in the peace pocket, having a good vibe, maybe getting a little high and going to the Brownstone diner in Jersey city. This was a big part of practice. Okay. So, I thought that we might get a little off the rails and start talking too much like that. And then I was like, Oh, you know, people want to, they want to talk to the broody lead singer, you know, like especially Kevin, you know, his, his story right now is so unique in the fact that Gates slowed down and essentially he beat a form of cancer Mm -hmm. in the meantime and strengthened back up and got the group back together and moved to Nashville. He's got this very, you know, sort of gripping tail right now. I had to deny my friends, Brad. <laughs> well, I said, sorry, Dan and Mike, I can't do a podcast with you guys. You know, it'd just be too much throwing down. I got to get the long hair on, you know, we'll do the, uh, b- we'll do the diner bonus episode at some point with those two guys. How's that? Oh, the Brownstone special. But 
I I rest in peace. The Brownstone Diner is one of those classic old school Jersey diners. Everything about it you would want, you know, is well, maybe not you because of where you're from, but someone like me who has a deep romantic connection to a New Jersey diner. Uh, it was taken over by one of the owners and they did like a rebranding uh, and they made the inside look all fancy. They added like a brunch menu with avocado toast. <laughs> they changed the name. Uh, and it's really bizarre. It's it's right across from the big hospital in Jersey City. And, you know, so obviously they get a lot of hospital, uh, you know, business. So they name it the Life Diner and Pancake House and literally use like a lifeline as part of the branding. What? Yeah. So it's like literally like let's put up this sign next to a hospital with like a lifeline. Like it's... I don't know if psychologically that's like really the best pitch uh, to get the doctors and nurses over your, you know, they want to get away. They want some fucking pancakes. Yeah, dude. Want, you know, I don't want to think about that. <laughs> but anyway, going off track as usual, <laughs> uh, that is the, the general story of me knowing Gates, and Kevin, and uh, I can't wait for their new stuff. It's assuredly going to be interesting and and in depth and good. Uh, I've heard a lot of it actually. And uh, they really made Dan work on this one. The drums are, are wild. Yeah. He's barely playing beats, which is cool. Really? It's like, yeah. And thank God. I mean, you know, this is the type of music. I think that people could get into their groove and start making the same record pretty easily. Right. So it's really nice to see a band, you know, you kind of, expect what you think it's going to sound like and something else comes. It's, uh, it's good. You know, they're always pushing the envelope. We'll check it out. This seems like a really long intro. So <laughs> let's, uh, let's get into the episode and play the train. It's going on <laughs> okay. We're rolling. Kevin. Yes. Hey. Hello. Hey. So how bad did our prank fail on your publicist? Pretty badly. <laughs> Pretty badly. What is, please tell, because I, I back any publicist prank. Yeah. So <laughs> this is how it went. You know, they're uh, Gates publicist, Jamie Coletta, fine person. Never met in person, I don't think, but uh, fine email and internet person. With a great, great, I mean, no one has a bad thing to say about this person. So she uh, asked me about Gates. You know, new record coming out. This is kind of their story. What do you think? Would you like to have them on? Without doing her due diligence and realizing that right. I have a long and torrid history with <laughs> these boys. So... I hit up Kevin. I'm like, yeah, your publicist is hitting me up thinking I don't know you. Like, we got to do something, right? You know? And he's like, yeah. And we start coming up with different scenarios. And I'm like, yo, I'm just going to go for it. Like, let's do it. And I email her back saying, not verbatim, but yeah, I know those guys. Tell Kevin he could write me an $800 check. <laughs> before he steps foot in New Jersey again or else we're going to have problems. 
And, you know, I'm waiting for her to hit up Kevin being like, yo, you guys got beef. And then Kevin being able to, you know, go through with it on his end. But she was a little too smart for that. She just kind of wrote me like, oh, shit, my bad. I wouldn't have sent it if I had known email and then separately treated it to Kevin as if I had never answered. So this is a smart industry person, a publicist doing a good job of separating beef from her world. But it was very disappointing. And because Kevin and I are, you know, sissies, we we couldn't double down. We couldn't, like, go for it. I just had to back down. Uh, And then, Kevin, I didn't tell you this funny part about it. I basically wrote an email back at some point that was like, yeah, you know, I know Gates because of this. I know Dan and Mike from this, blah, 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 with no other context. And I was literally lying there at night, like a day and a half later, being like, wait, I wrote Jamie an email just like saying how well I knew these guys. (laughs) Nothing else. I didn't say I'd interview him. I didn't say anything. I was just just like, I'm like, what a stupid industry horrible thing to do. Why would I even do that? And I was like, woke up embarrassed and wrote Jamie like first thing, like, sorry, like, geez. So this really, I don't know what the moral of the story is, Kevin, but I think it's to not try to trick your, yeah. your wonderful publicist who's definitely smarter than you. <laughs> Way smarter. <laughs> Into some crazy story that you didn't oh. really even flesh out. Yeah. We, 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 I mean, I, I thought it was going to be great, honestly. I was like, trying to. The first to, one, yeah. I was like, this is going to, she's going to come back to me and be like, what did you do? Yeah. Like, what happened? <laughs> and I thought that tone I took, I get the impression from some people in the industry that they think I'm like kind of Tony Soprano like anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like they think, like, oh, that guy, like, probably know, beat someone up or something. They're like, little do they know. So I thought it would be tough to kind of play that, like, oh, make sure Which is he doesn't. Probably why she was like, oh shit, like, never mind, oh, you know, like instead yeah. of coming back to me and being like, what did you like? Just be like, I, I'm not gonna mess with that dude. <laughs> oh, you think I should have kept it sillier? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know. You know, we'll have to prank the next person and, and find out. Yeah, we gotta we gotta perfect our technique. Jamie did. Sure. She did say I fooled her. Yeah, you know? she said too, and I I, I think I. Re- you know, I responded to the the next email she sent me, and she was like, "Yeah, I I was confused as hell." And she just said exactly. She's like, "I just was like, oh shit to him, and like had no idea what the fuck to do." You know? yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, uh, that's kind of what we were hoping for, but also we feel really bad, and yeah, it, we probably shouldn't have done that, but she didn't care because she's uh, awesome. Yeah. I'm really not good at like holding up a ruse, you know? Exactly. I <laughs> mean, either I'm like. You can just tell instantly that I'm lying. It's like I'm Same. just smiling. Or like, <laughs> I was like the where I had a bunch of friends who were excellent crank callers. You know the types who could really like eke it out for like ten yeah. minutes and get someone going. And I just could never do it, man. I always broke. I folded within like ten seconds. I would either laugh or just give myself up. Be like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm fucking around. Enjoy your night. You know. Yeah, I had a friend in high school who had like a 
his version of basically a David Letterman type show that he was doing on local access in high in high school. So it was like in his basement, really like low low budget, zero dollars budget. And I was I would film him doing like pranks. Oh, okay. And so we would go to drive throughs and he would like order like hundreds of dollars worth of things and drive off and everything like wow and I, the whole ca- the whole time you're watching it on local access the camera is just shaking <laughs> uncontrollably because <laughs> i'm laughing so hard at it right so it's like horrible like i'm the last person who should have been doing that yeah with this dude but like you know i'm just losing my mind the whole time he's doing this and the, you know they can see us on the cam on the uh on their cameras they clearly know what we're doing right you know half yeah. the time they'd be like pull up pull up i'm gonna you know, I got something funny to say or whatever, and then they would do something into the camera. But it was it was ridiculous. I was so bad at that. What would, do you remember? Like the best? What was the best one? I, the one that I laughed at the most was he ordered just an insane order. I mean, like the stuff that like had, you know was so customizable and like. What are we talking like Burger King? I I'm pretty sure we were at Arby's or something. Okay, it's and, very Michigan. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and he, I, dude, it was, I, I swear, it was twenty minutes of him just ordering whatever he could think of, and I've, the whole time I was just shaking uncontrollably. I thought it was the funniest thing ever, yeah. and then he just hit the gas and drove away. And it was like, oh my god, it was so fucking. Fun. There's no way that they put any of that in, you know, like right. they were not at all making that order. For sure, which is the only reason I don't feel bad about it. Like they knew what we were doing a hundred percent, you know, but I was just telling my wife a story the other day where it was kind of like the culmination of me deciding I just really don't want to do bad things that make me uncomfortable. (laughs) And I was like littered with it from like the time I was like 10 and started hanging out with like my white trash friends to basically this moment, I had been suckered into so much like stuff that made me uncomfortable. I never got a kick out of it. I'm not a thrill seeker. And I remember one time we're at Denny's before band practice. I had, you know, my moons over my hammy, no hammy, my my normal order. And and they do it again. The boys get up and run out of the restaurant. They're like, Betty, come on. And I'm like, fuck this. And I stayed. <laughs> I stayed and sat at the table and like the lady came and she's like, what happened? I'm like, yo, I gotta be honest with you. They got up and ran out on their bill. I'm done with all that. You know, like I'm here. I got money for my food. I don't have money for theirs. Like, however you want to deal with this, I'll deal with it. And I just sat there like that, like a fucking martyr. You know, and she, she didn't make you pay for the rest of their food or anything. There was, I mean, where are you going to get this money from? I don't like, I like don't crawling know. I under a rock. Like... I was like, she could probably tell by the look of me that the moons over Miami <laughs> was about the peak of my budget there. You know, like, <laughs> he's, like the, he's definitely not paying for all of this. Yeah, no, they let me go, and I literally walked like half a mile to a payphone to beep someone to fucking come pick me back up. Yeah, so I guess the moral of that story is I should have learned from Denny's and not tried to fool. Jamie should have you know? man. I was I was the same way. We just weren't cut out for it, you know. Just definitely weren't cut out for it. Nice guys, too nice, man. Well, I thought all Michigan men are nice guys. Speaking of which, we're already in the the background. You you mentioned cable access show, and I thought of Wayne and Garth's basement, um, and that's the way everything looks in the Midwest to me. What was uh, you know, what was your connection to music? 
when you were a kid back in the day? Like, uh, had you finally get a guitar in your hand? And what was like your first intro to actually wanting to write and play music? So I think I'm pretty sure I started playing guitar in fourth grade. And it was mainly because... I sucked at every sport that I tried. (laughs) Um, You know, I think my parents first signed me up for T-ball and I I wasn't good at that. And then they signed me up for soccer later on and I I was horrible at that. And like, I just, team sports just wasn't my thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, it it felt like there was a lot of pressure or something. (laughs) I I don't really know. I can't really describe. I'm a very like, to myself kind of guy. So like, honestly, when, when, you know, I got my grandma's classical guitar and, you know, when my mom handed that to me, it was like, this is perfect for me. I'm just sitting here right, with Pref- myself. Preferred that to competition. Yeah, exactly. Just like learning something. Yeah. And, um, I was really, my parents were always into modern music. So they had one of those subscriptions to like Columbia or whatever it was that had Columbia house. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You get like 20 CDs. So, you know, I, we had everything we had like Nevermind and uh, like evil empire and all this. So I oh, was okay. listening to all this stuff and you know, it was mostly Nirvana early on because it was simple. It was like, all right, I sure. know a power chord. I can, I can do this. So I started taking guitar lessons and just kind of learning basically as, as, as little as I possibly could just to be able to play whatever I wanted to. You know, so, and I just started from there and just kept going with it. My brother played bass. He played guitar for a minute and then he quit and then he learned, he decided bass was his thing. Okay. So we played together a lot. And then eventually um, my parents bought, I think my mom bought a drum set because she wanted to play. Oh yeah. She bought like a, a TKO. It was like a really bad little crappy drum set. But she bought that. You are telling me here that your parents were buying Rage Against the Machine albums and drum sets for themselves. Pretty yes, cool. and we were just we were just steal, you know, yeah. taking them and listening to them. So yeah, not bad. They definitely were a huge motivating factor for, you know, I definitely wanted to quit guitar at one point because it was I think I was trying to learn the solo from Smells Like Teen Spirit and was like this I can't play this. <laughs> and my mom was like, "Well, if you're not going to do sports or anything, you got to do this." So, you know, I just was like, "Fine, I'll do this." And so I stuck to it and then it ended up being really something that I think in high school kind of took off for me. That's where I met all my friends and we would play at uh, the Legion halls and rent out. And again, my parents were kind of integral in this. They would like sign the documents so we could rent out like the Northville American Legion oh, okay. hall. They were like and the then, cool parents who were... Exactly. And they yeah. would just stand in the back. You know, they were totally non-invasive to it at all. They would just let it happen and just kind of not be, you know, disappear into the background. And we would book tw- 20 bands or whatever right, and start right, at like right. noon <laughs> and just everyone would play the five songs they had. And then every once in a while, you'd get like a touring band through, you know, and right about that time, you know, music was kind of becoming, you know, Napster was becoming a thing and everything. Mm. And, and, you could do that, you know, it was like, right. oh, this band's coming through town and we can, we can get them and then we'll get the band from the next town over to come play and it'll be really cool. And so I mean, how far from like Detroit, how far from a city are you where you grew up? Um, it's, it was about 45 minutes from Detroit. Oh, okay. So, um, so a t- like a bigger band is going to play Detroit for sure. But it was weird. It was like, you know, back then 
It's like like a Victory Records band would be on a on tour for like eight weeks, and they would be booking that. You know, they'd be first yeah, to five or something, right, and have right. a hundred dollar guarantee. So they would like they would book your Legion Hall show as like a headliner, and they would play for like two hundred bucks in Taco Bell. You know, so <laughs> right, yeah, sure. I remember like like Silverstein played. You know, it was like we were like, oh, that's cool. We got Silverstein to play because you know they they needed a, a show basically. Right. So we would do that and. I remember finding a lot of cool bands that would just come through on tour that were probably lesser known. Yeah. Unsigned bands, you know, and Detroit. And, uh, yeah. I guess in that time too, it wasn't the easiest like club market. There wasn't too many nah, places. For sure. It right? was like yeah. shelter and St. Andrews. And if we went down there, we basically got dropped off and picked up at the door because it was right. It wasn't really safe to be down there as a yeah, kid. You weren't allowed to take like public trans to Detroit. That no, time. there's just no, it was like they, there was no way, you know, I remember one time my mom even like got a, like a limo van base. It was basically like one of those vans with lights inside yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. uh-huh. for all of my friends to go down to like a show because, ah. um, you know, she was just like that, that'll be the safest thing to do. So you really didn't hang out down there. That's pretty um, funny. That's, that's a very white bubble thing to do. Oh yeah. Like I mean, let's, dude, rent, I in, let's rent a private van to send the boys to Detroit for the night. <laughs> for sure. I mean, it, I lived in like the suburbs, you know, yeah. it was totally white middle class, like sure. definitely just like normal ass. Like I, how you probably wouldn't envision someone who lived in like the middle of Michigan, you know, good was, mall though. Right. And that's, that's all our, our city was, our town was known for was our mall. It was like, that was the big thing. So we would go to the mall and we would go to Denny's outside of the mall, yes, um, and hang out. But, but yeah, it was definitely a a pretty normal thing. And we would just play in each other's basements and Legion halls and whatever. You know, was there I, a my, scene like punk hardcore kind of scene? Yeah, totally. It was it was cool. Like it was definitely it was kind of all over the place a little bit. Like, you know, I don't really remember there being like a very definite kind of music coming out of the area. Right. You know, and the few bands that did kind of make it out were kind of strange, you know? I don't remember them being like a particular sound, hmm. you know? It was like, you remember that band Chiodos? I do, yeah. They were they were um, a band that would like play in our basement, you know? Oh, okay. And then they, they got signed and then there was like that band Anathalo that sounded like Sufjan Stevens, but like proggier, you know? It was like, uh-huh. that, that band's just weird, you know? It was like, that's a bizarre band. Um, I know For Dire Life's Sake was like really popular in New Jersey, um, I know like a couple of guys in the band know that band, but they were like a Michigan band too that huh. did pretty well. But um, it was like, you know, mostly just me and my friends and the people from the high school in the next town over all coming and like moshing to my band's song that was like ridiculous, you know? It was like, it <laughs> wasn't was it good. Ridiculous? I mean, we had a song that was literally like, you chant one, two, three, four, and then we would start playing and people would do a wall of death, but it was like, it sounded like a blink One Eighty Two part, you know, it wasn't heavy at all. It was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. it was like a some 41 riff or something, you know, it was uh-huh. like, um, we had what- no defined style at all. It was like, whatever we wanted to play, we just played a song that sounded like that. Yeah. There's, that was the era. Know. That was the era when moshing had just gone too far. Exactly. Like everybody was, everywhere was giving it a shot, you know? A hundred percent. And that was that was exactly what, you know, my memory of music in high school was. It was sure. very much like fun. Yeah. But I do think that it, it it shaped the way that I 
played music after that because no one took me seriously. Uh, and I think I spent a lot of time after that trying to be like legit. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because I just, everything we had done was so goofy and funny. Right. And, and then I look back on it now and I'm like, well, everyone like really liked our music and had a lot of fun listening to it. Like, so yeah, you <laughs> that were, was, that was great. <laughs> yeah. You were doing the right thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was killing it. So it's funny thinking back to it now, but I spent many, many years then like in college trying to like be in a really like, you know, artsy fartsy like sure band with a ton of riffs that were impossible to play and like well, maybe, no repeating parts and maybe that's the geography that's where i start to wonder it's like you can't be from michigan and and keep that temperament all the time because there's no way to be like goofy in the winter right like so that's why i think like you know certain brands of pop punk and stuff always come out of warm nice places that don't rain a lot and you know when you're from where like do you think, you know, you've lived in a few different places now, some with real winter, some with fake winter. Like, is there so I've always had this theory about people who would, who have to live through winters, like a Michigan winter, that it just does something to you or makes you understand something that you just can't if you don't. You think that's true? I feel like just because I've lived in... Um Sorry, there's definitely going to be a train going by. I live right by a train track, so... Yeah, that's... Just sing some Johnny Cash and we're good. Here it comes. <laughs> but yeah, um, I think I think now that I lived in Nashville for um, one winter right. and into summer, and the winter was like... It snowed for like two days. Yeah. Um, and it's been like really nice, and like it's going into September now, and it's clearly going to be like 80 degrees for the next two months. Yeah. Um, this is the first time for me that I'm not experiencing like winter. You know, even in New York City, it was definitely way milder than Michigan, but you still got winter, you know, it still yeah. got crappy and um, you know, it would get there'd be a snowstorm and you'd be walking through like two foot puddles and everything like that. Yeah. Um, a, so, a, a slushy sidewalk entry gives gives you its own version of uh of winter toughness. It definitely that's that's the moment where you're thinking about stuff, you yeah. know, and that, <laughs> yeah. and it's true. You there, there's definitely a mo, you know, like there is a moment in February of every year when you're in Michigan where you're like, ah, oh, dude, I don't know, you know, and even like, like my parents. What do you moved mean, like Texas, I don't know? Like, like, is this all worth it? Kind of, I yeah, don't know. Yeah, yeah. You're like, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. Like, when is it gonna get? You know, when is the sun gonna come out again? When am I gonna be warm again? Right. Like, it's just so you have to get. It's like. And you drive everywhere, so you get you're like walking out into this horrible, horrible winter. It's like negative twenty, and you have like right. all of this shit on. And then you go into a building, and it's like eighty degrees in there, and you got to take it all off. Like it's just a very weird thing that goes on for way too long. You yeah. Know? So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I I would one hundred percent say that I can see now that like that probably added a little bit to like the demeanor of myself a little but i think i think it's you know i think everyone who goes through that doesn't really realize that till they probably move away and are like oh that sucked you know yeah but like, if you were from like santa monica and never moved away there's still a chance you could still be leaning into that goofy feel good stuff yeah, like everyone, I, like I've been working with a few bands from San Diego recently. Like, yeah, exactly. And those guys are just so happy and like just positive. <laughs> they just have a vibe where you're like, it's like infectious. You know, you're like, wow, like everything you're saying just makes me happy and smile and laugh. Like, 
And I feel like I'm the opposite. <laughs> like, yeah, even but, when I'm trying yeah. to be funny, there's like an underlying like heaviness to uh-huh. it. You know exactly. See, and even when you're hanging around these San Diego people, though, like, do you totally believe it? Yeah, I mean, I do. I yeah, <laughs> they're that genuinely just like coasting. I you know, it's not that they. I it's not that I feel like they don't have. Cause they're, you know, they're still writing music and a lot of it has like a, you know, heavy messages and things like that. But I think they have a better ability to kind of just compartmentalize it maybe, Mm, but I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just the environment's better. I I can't, I, I, I couldn't speak for them. You know what I mean? But like, I don't know. It's maybe that's why I'm so like so depressed all the time. I, (laughs) I couldn't tell you, you know, like it's fascinating. I mean, let's just think like, if you really like break down music geographically, the the tone of the music, at least the feeling behind it, and sometimes the energy does really seem to be based on the weather. You know, like why is black metal invented in Scandinavia? Like why is the moodiest rock and roll maybe ever made in England and Seattle? You know? Uh, it's a good point. It's a solid, solid observation. And then you have, you know, fat records, you know, and can that exist in Michigan? No, because for those four months, you couldn't bear talking about that shit. You know, you'd be like, no, no, I can't talk about that. It's February. I'm freezing. It's not funny. (laughs) You know, I think that's why the bands had like eclectic sounds where it would be like, there would be like a couple right. pop, pop punk songs yeah, and then one, songs. all of a sudden they're like yeah. screaming. Right. And you're like, what? Whoa. Maybe <laughs> like, the winter, maybe the Michigan winter created Chiodos. That was a very frantic maybe. band, wasn't it? It was. And it was kind of all over the place. That's and right. honestly, most of the bands that I played with were like that. They were kind of just a mashup of literally everything that we listened to. It was uh, so, just a, so maybe we've pinpointed this to a different level. I've always attributed it to the actual weather of the place, but maybe it's the changing dynamics of the weather. Like that's one of the things that makes Jersey and New York crazy to live in is that, I mean, you very quickly go from like 30 degrees to 90 degrees and there's really nothing in between anymore. Zero seasons. Yeah. Like four days of spring and fall combined and you just go straight from winter to summer. I think it's one of the reasons we're always mad because we're always cold or sweating. You know, you're like, you're just waiting for the four days that it's, it's nice. It's the nicest four days. That one September, like, I don't know if it happened yet by you guys, but this, like August is so horrible in New York city. It's just, (laughs) people are going insane. They're, they're on the subway screaming and shit. Mm. It's like, everything is just off the rails. And then one day in September, it'll be like 72 and the cool breeze off the water will blow in and it just blows away the trash smell yeah and everyone just chills the fuck out and like that day is a fantastic day but it then is. it either goes right to being freezing or it goes back to being 90 like right after that that's you know, the day everybody takes a picture of central park yeah and that's yeah, exactly. why everyone thinks like central park is this bustling like area everyone's playing frisbee with no shirts on and shit and it's really just that one day Exactly. It, Instagram <laughs> crashes that day with yeah, the amount of yeah. Central Park image. <laughs> Everyone runs to Central Park to get the photo. Yeah. It's like, look at me. I live in New York. It's great. Like, yeah, for I, just five minutes. I sunbathe eight hours a year. <laughs> Check it out. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's, speaking of winters, like I thought it was interesting 
I mean, did you go straight from Michigan to Kingston? Was that yeah. was that your move? So so you went there to intern at Levon Helms studio in, in upstate New York, right? Correct. That is what I did. What um, uh how did how did that come to pass? So how was that experience? Well, it was an incredible experience for sure. Um, What's the name of it, that place? The studio up there? It was just Levon Helm Studios, right? It right. was. It was. He he lived in the back of this big barn, basically. Yeah, and that's where they do that giant show every year, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he would just walk out of his his part of it, his house, and then just sit at the drum kit, so play a cool. show, and then go back home. Fuck yeah, know? yeah. Um, and he was so chill, and he was just like one of those people that just all he cared about doing was playing the drums and talking about music and, you know, occasionally he would talk about like ice road truckers or something like that. And then just like <laughs> go back into his house you yeah, know? Yeah. and he had, he had his dogs and they would come hang out a little bit. And the rest of the time we were working with other artists or I would do, I would basically record the midnight rambles. So every oh. single midnight ramble, they would record it. Okay. And I just sat there and what made sure that it was, that pro tools was still running Wait, explain what a Midnight Ramble is for people, too. So a Midnight Ramble is basically a show that happens every Saturday night at the studio. And to my knowledge, even though Levon has passed, they still do them. They still have shows. Yeah, I think so. Um, But basically, the Levon Helm Band, which was Levon, a couple of the guys from the band in the later years, and like... Larry Campbell, who was the guitar player for Bob Dylan for a while, and then they would have special guests like Donald Fagan would come out a lot when I was up there. Wow. Um, he would he would show up a decent amount. Um, Amy Helm, like his daughter, would would sing, and they just had it was probably twelve to fifteen people would play a show, and they would play a lot of the band songs, and they would play a lot of covers, and there was usually an opener that played for a little bit. Um, and it would, it would be every Saturday and you could get tickets and they would set up folding chairs in the studio and you would sit 20 feet away okay. and watch them play. So cool. and it was a, it was an amazing experience. What a sure. vibe. It was yeah. super cool. It yeah. was, it was a, it was a show that if you, especially if you were a fan of the band is like a once in a lifetime experience sure. to be able to see. Yeah. So, um, at the time I was not familiar with any band songs at all. So I went in there completely like an emo kid being like, I don't know what the hell this is, but I wanted to record. How heavy really was bad. your side part at that time? Mm, it was bad. Yeah, it was pretty bad. <laughs> it was like, if, if I have very long hair now and if yeah. it was like that, but you just kind of like, it, I was in the middle of growing it out kind of, oh, you know, it was the like worst stage. Yeah. Um, and I, I wore like small, like t-shirts that were like transformers and like, uh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I do. Um, so <laughs> I definitely didn't look like I fit in at all right. up there, but, um, Justin, the engineer there, he was married to my cousin and I went oh, really? to, I went to a family Thanksgiving on my dad's side of the family, huh. um, in November of 2009, I think. And my aunt was like, you look so depressed. I need to find you like a job and, okay. and basically hit up her daughter and was like, you know, get this dude an, an internship here because, <laughs> right. you know, I was working at Target. I was the guy who hung the signs up on the, in the ceiling. So I would work from like four in the morning to like, you know, noon and just hang up signs in Target. It was, it was the economic, like, you know, shit show of 2008. The signage, so, the Target um, signage, man. Yeah. 
Which was actually the, probably the best job you could yeah, have Yeah, it sounds like it was, I'm thinking about jobs at Target. And yeah, four in the morning. What is it? Four in the afternoon to midnight? It was four in the morning. And so I hate getting up early. So that was the worst part about it. Yeah, that's... It, I usually start at f- either four or six in the morning. Yikes. And, but like it was, you know, I basically kept to myself. Didn't have to really deal with any customers. I just walked around and hung up a bunch of shit and went home, you know. But, you know, it's I lived with my parents and it was... It was whatever. I was just looking for something to do. And I really, I I had my own little Pro Tools rig and would be recording stuff in their basement trying to figure out how to use it all. And this opportunity came about and I was like, screw it. I'll move to Kingston. I had saved up some money, got a little studio apartment and just lived there by myself for nine months and just showed up unpaid and just like, you know, every single day was just looking over the shoulder of Justin, the engineer there, and just trying to learn about everything I could. And to his credit, he let me do a lot of things that probably, you know, he was inclined not to do because he still kind of had the mentality of, you're an intern, you got to like clean the rafters and things like that, which I get, but, um, you know, and I, I, especially at the time, had a loud mouth. So I, I remember just like shouting out ideas I had and he'd be like, don't do that. <laughs> like, just shut up and sit on the couch, and I was like, "Oh shit!" Studio, no, but, no. Uh, Brad, but yeah, you, was, you know that one, Brad? Oh yeah, <laughs> you are invisible. You are. You do not exist. You are filth. Exactly. <laughs> the studio you know, guys mean, are brutal, dude. Some guy made me feel so bad there because I didn't know how to open a bottle of wine. I had never what? uncorked what? a bottle of wine before, and he like was like, "What are you like, peasant?" He was. He was such a dick about it. I don't know who <laughs> he was, but like. You don't remember who it was? No, nah, he didn't work there at all. He was like a guest at one of the shows. So he was just some guy. Guest a dick. engineer. <laughs> so, had, so you had just been piddling around, but you didn't really have like this intense interest to go work at a studio. This was just an opportunity? No, I did. I abs- that's, that's 100% what I wanted to do. I wanted oh, to okay. record music. I actually right. changed my major in college. I was a mechanical engineer um, and I changed to recording, which was probably my biggest regret in life because... Huh. There was, I think there was two classes in college that had anything to do with recording. I was like, I could have just gotten an engineering degree. Like I was studying calculus and just forgot it all, you know? Right, so, right. Um, and you still could, you, so you were saying you could have had a mechanical engineering degree and still recorded bands. Exactly. Yeah, like it, sure. I learned nothing there. I, I learned everything at, at Levon Helm and beyond. Right. You know? yeah, so, that's right. the sad thing. I used to manage a studio in New York and like they wouldn't hire people that had gone to school. Because they wanted to train them like their own way, and and the, and the kids hadn't learned anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, in a way that makes sense because I don't know. I mean, I, it's it's such a it's such a yes. There are things you can learn about it. There's like technical things that you can learn about it, which is part of the job I like. I, I think I love doing. I love being a producer and a mixing engineer because it's both sides of my brain. You know, it's like this engineering thing where, yes, you have to know what you're doing. You have to know how to use this gear. You should know all this technical stuff. But on the same side, there's a bunch of creative things you can do with it. So there's no rules really. So it kind of makes sense. But yeah, you know, it was, I I got really lucky. I still, I feel for people who want to do that and they don't know how to get into that stuff. And to be honest with you, I did the Levon Helm thing and it, it didn't lead to anything else. You know, I didn't get right. an internship at a next studio or whatever. Gates is the thing that got me where I am today as far as 
mm. recording is concerned. You know, I was I was begging them to just let me record their record. Right, I was like, don't, right. I don't care if I'm the singer of this band. I just want to record you guys. Like, let me record you. Like, that <laughs> yeah. was the thing I really wanted to sure. do the most. You know, I kind of stumbled into Gates on accident simply because I needed people to hang out with. I had, I had not talked to anyone in yeah. nine months up in Kingston. It was just like, help, you know? So. so so can I infer that like that, that kind of when Gates became like much more of a full-time thing, demanding that attention and traveling, like, so that wasn't something you ever really expected. No. I mean, I, when, I, when, I let, when I stopped playing music in Michigan, I kind of expected to never do it again. Wow. Like, to that capacity, you know? Um, and now I, you're I, doing I Guitar be, World videos, bro, you know? I know. It's weird. <laughs> it's very weird. It's, it's definitely an odd thing. I, I really, especially because I had never been a singer you know, right. and, and that's a whole other thing where people are like tattooing your lyrics on them and stuff. And it's like, this is crazy. You know, I, I didn't expect <laughs> right. to ever have that happen in my lifetime. I didn't expect to write a song like ah. that, you know? So, um, it's been awesome. You know, <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying I didn't enjoy that. It's, it's been incredible. And I think it, it, I owe that mostly in part to the guys in Gates who continue to inspire me to this day and like want me to continue doing this because, you know, I notoriously will try to make something on my own and just be like, it's shit, it's shit, and throw out all my demos. And then, you know, somebody will add something to it in Gates and all of a sudden it's the best thing ever, you mm-hmm. know, and I want right. to finish it. So just being constantly inspired by those guys, I think it has always been the thing where I'm like, wow, this is really cool. I can't believe I'm in this band. I can't believe these guys are letting me like <laughs> right. sing all over their tracks and everything, you know? So that's definitely driven me to continue doing it for this long, I think. And now it's just, you know, it's, it's cool that I'm able to do that and do production and mixing. It's kind of the perfect thing, you know, when you're, you know, when you're not touring, you can just record bands and vice versa. So I noticed that listening to the newer tracks too, that it really seems to me that I don't know if you've expanded the range of your voice, maybe actually, uh, the opposite. Um, I'm not, I'm not totally sure, but you're using your voice on the new stuff uh, in, in different ways, um, which to me sound a lot more uh, clear and concise lyrically and also um, in this very comfortable pocket for your voice where it's really feeling like you kind of found your uh, your space vocally. Like, am I inferring this right for you? Or, were there any, like, very obvious changes you made from the last stuff to this? Uh, well, thanks. First of all, uh, I think you, you picked up on, you know, it's like on the money, what you picked up. Like I definitely feel the most comfortable Sweet. that I ever, ever have. You know, I feel like I kind of know exactly what I want and how to do it. Right. Um, you know, to be honest with you, I think the biggest thing that changed was like, I, I can breathe better and like have, you know, less like I had like an basically an infected part of my lung for a long time and right. it's just gone now. So right. it's just easier for me to, I don't, I, I honestly don't know if it's actually physically easier than it was before or if psychosomatically that was just something that was able to be removed where wow. I'm like, it's gone. And now right. I just all of a sudden felt free of the entire burden that I always had of like, I'm not a singer. I'm sure. not a singer. I mean, dude, you, when you when you think you might never sing again, all of a sudden you're like, I am a singer. Right. And that might have just been 
it. It just might have been a a switch flip, and I'm like, I know what I want to do, and this is it. So huh. I think that probably it probably was more mental than anything. But I didn't um, I didn't want to make you you know go through the whole gymnastics of the story because um, there's quite a bit. Um, but you know, to anybody who doesn't know, listening to this interview. You had what a, an endocrine tumor removed, like directly from what your bronchitis or your bronchial tube. Is that correct? Correct. It was in yeah. It was in the tu- it was in the tube that connects my upper right lobe to the rest of my lung. So they basically had to remove my upper right lobe of my lung to get rid of it. So yeah, and like um, between that and I mean the uh, you know, I heard somewhere like the surgery for it was just super intense. Um, like how long after that were you even able to like give it a go? Like when was the first time you're like, all right, I'm just going to like let my voice loose here. Like I'm going to let her rip. Did, how long did that actually take? Maybe four weeks, oh, five okay. weeks. I had this little, they give you this little plastic thing that you have to build your lung strength back up with. Oh yeah. Those, so you're supposed to like ball. blow into it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I was doing that like, you know, way more than they even, wanted me to and I did it way longer than they you know I remember them being like you don't need to do that anymore and it was it was just like a check for me that I'm like yes I I am good yeah you know okay um and that was basically proof that I because because the I luckily it was on the side that I have a middle middle lobe because we have five lobes of the lung and uh, it kind of expanded upward and like took the area of what was removed so um my capacity is like 90 percent or something it's not like super um, it's not a lot worse than it was before. So I think I was really anxious to just kind of be like, let me see if I can do this. And yeah, um, the problem, I, I tell it to everybody and then they get weirded out because no, <laughs> no one knows what to say. The problem was really, it was the mental thing afterward, you know, where you're yeah. like, I, I don't, and I couldn't write any music. I mean, dude, it was like, you sh- the note, my notebook during that time is, it's scary. Dude, you know? I mean, it's that's like, some serious fucking trauma. I mean, especially, yeah. Like, it wasn't like you just went to the doctor one day and was like, oh, this is what's wrong with you. Wasn't it like literal like years of kind of events that you didn't know what was going on? And, and yeah, it was like, I think they said it was 10, it had been growing for 10 years or yeah, something. So, like, crazy. all it looked like a lot of the, it's like, oh, I have, I'm sick again. I'm sick again. I'm right. sick. And it was just kept increasing in like, um, frequency. And I started wheezing. I mean, dude, it's just, you know, I don't need to go on and on about it, but it it, it was it was intense. You know, yeah. and I think you, it, it's coming from again someone who grew up in this like you know white suburb and had no problems in their life. Like all of a sudden, you're shocked at like how mm. how things can go. You know, and it was it was shocking to me for sure. So it was it was definitely a life changing thing. And I, I I you know there was a decent chunk of time afterwards where I was anxious and excited to make music, but. Everything that I was making, I just knew wasn't for anyone else but myself. And Mm. there was just no way that I didn't want that to be my thing. You know, just like today, I don't want it to be like this like sad story where you're like, oh, you know, it's like and it's it's weird and it's part of the history now. And it's it's it needs to be talked about. But at the same time, like the whole record isn't about that. You know, it's definitely ingrained in it for sure. And there's songs like If I Could, which are like is is a hundred percent about that. But like, sure. you know, it's, I wanted to kind of be able to just, I think that's what inspired the record ultimately was I wanted to go back to, you know, just never having had that experience. And 
Huh. That's really the thing that inspired the record was the idea that you can't do that. Uh, you know, that you uh-huh. need to move on and move past this because you're always going to remember having this experience. You just can't delete it. Yes. You know, it's not something you can do. Like that's, you know, and for someone who had never dealt with like grief at that level, I think I didn't really know how to handle it. Yeah, and, and like and I, psychologically, I know, you're you're better off uh, replaying it, recreating it, reliving it as quickly as possible, right? Yeah, I mean, like I, I think you just, I mean, for me at least, it was just something where I just felt so shitty it was like you yeah. just you just woke up and be like i wait if this could just all be gone it would be great you know yeah, right, I'll, I'll, i right, can right. i can just pretend this never happened you know and yeah, like it'll, right. it'll be cool and you know and we started i think we started playing playing together again pretty shortly after mm-hmm. all of that and it took me like fucking so long to write the lyrics to the first song pretending it was like it took a really long time it was like oh just forever and and it was like grinding and i just couldn't figure out what it was even about you know and it Uh was really really difficult and then luckily my insurance company which is my wife's insurance company that i I fucking got really lucky and (laughs) got on like three months before this all went down but uh yeah it was dude it was like that's huge clutch at the line (laughs) you know (laughs) (laughs) but they but they called me up and and were like do you need do you need therapy because you just went through this thing and i was like I don't know. I was like, sure, I guess. I mean, I was not under even the impression that I was, that this was a problem. Oh, and they contacted you, know? so, you about that. Yeah. Wow, yeah they that's offered pretty it impressive. to me. And wow. They, uh, I was like, fuck it, I'll try it. And they, yeah. I enrolled in a program called Able To, and they gave me a therapist and a life coach. And I would talk to the that's therapist awesome. on Tuesday, so and then awesome. I would talk to the life coach on Wednesday. And within a week, I wrote where to begin. Like it was right, like, because how the fuck could anybody like understand your experience that you even know? I didn't even, you know, right. I didn't even understand <laughs> yeah. it. It was, right. it was crazy when I accept. It was like the acceptance of it was, you know, it was it was mind blowing for huh. sure. I I definitely like had a moment there where, and I think of it even now, and I get emotional, you know, because it's 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 incredibly difficult to like look at yourself and admit that you're in this this place mentally but you remember the moment you said like what was that moment i just remember being on the phone with like the life coach and her being like (laughs) all this cheesy shit that i was like you know fuck this yeah this stuff sucks you know like i was totally like that guy where i was like this is so lame like i'm not gonna look at myself in the mirror and tell me that i (laughs) i'm worth something or whatever you know and i'm Uh like I just start thinking about it and you're like, holy shit, I am worth something, you know? Yeah, and yeah, it was, huh? I mean, honestly, it, it sounds so, it was so weird. And I, I was totally a guy who was skeptical about whether or not that would be useful in my life. Mm. And I can't stress it enough that I don't care if you had cancer or you had, you know, someone you love pass away or you had, you, you, you're miserable at your job, maybe, or you're even having a hard time with a personal, whatever, like, Therapy works, you know, like really helped me. So I, I've been really trying to, uh, I guess, stand that, if you will, and tell people that like, um, you know, as someone who thought it was probably a bunch of shit after having gone through the experience, like that's definitely the the reason why we even finished this record. You know, like I said, I was just like, where to begin? It's like, dude, two weeks after I started that, I was like, boom, wrote the song in an hour, you Uh know? And it's like the, in my opinion, the best song I've ever written. So I was like, 
this stuff's just flying out of me now. It's just so much easier to process because I may, instead of just blocking it all out, I'm actually able to sit down and ask myself the, the tough questions, you know, which was what I had been doing, you know, previously to that, but just kind of forgot how to do, you know, you sure. get to the point where you're like, everything sucks and I don't even want to, you know, uh-huh. it's just like, it's when you're in that kind of a depression, it's, are you still actively doing it? No, I'm not actually. Okay. And I do want to get, um, get another therapist here in Nashville, but the program ran out after like a year and a half. Right. So I ended up not, um, being able to continue with my same therapist. Okay. So, um, I'm trying to find a new one now that I've moved. Are there but- any kind of like, um, like tools or disciplines that, that you took from it that you maybe find most valuable, like something that even you could, now that you've been through this experience, you could, you could lay on someone else? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think one of the main things that they taught me right off the bat was about like core values, they called them. Uh-huh. And it was, if you type it in online, just type in core values online, um, there'll be a huge list of just words. And these are things that are, Value that could be values to you, and you're supposed to print them out and circle five or six of them. You have to pick, you know, you have to determine which one is, you know, ranked higher than which other one. And, you know, you have to really sit down and think about what's super important to you, you know. So they told me to do that, and then they told me anything that isn't one of those words that I circled, I don't need to give a shit about. One of the things I used to really struggle with was um, everything now is like social media, you know? And I don't get it really as someone who's like very, very introverted and I overthink everything. I'm like, I'll sit there for an hour trying to figure out what to post and be like, I'm not even going to post. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't know what I'm saying, uh-huh. you know? And it's really, really difficult for me to kind of parse through that. And I'd also get really frustrated when people were good at it. Because okay. I didn't understand, and and I see it a lot in people too. And you know, it's kind of funny because it's really prevalent prevalent in the kind of music scene we grew up in too, where you just like hate people that are aren't punk. Yes. And that it actually boils down to like authenticity being one of my core values. So huh. I it is above all super important to me that I'm authentic to myself, and I'm telling you what my true self is. And I'm not disguising that in any way. It's super important to me, you know, like, and it's not knowing that it's not important to other people, maybe, you know, or like one of the core values on the list was fame. And I was like, holy shit, like that could be one of the most important things to somebody. Yeah. Like, sure. So I can't really hate on that. You know what I mean? It was like, if if that's someone's life goal and they want to be famous, like, Okay, cool. Like right, that's right. That's what fine. That I don't yeah. exactly. Yeah. I don't need to give a shit about right. it. You know. So it was kind of enlightening. Like, even freeing, even for the right? shit that like yeah. I didn't pick. You know. I'm uh-huh. like, oh yeah, I don't have to give a fuck about that. That sounds you know? very so, liberating. Like a very liberating practice. Yeah, and it's it's mostly about knowing yourself. You know, like sure. if you know that you're that's important to you, then you can really focus on it and put a lot of effort into it. And if you know if something isn't important to you, you can try to not care about it as much, mm. you know? And obviously it it's something you struggle with every day and you, you kind of got to recheck and be like, is this still, you know, important to me? And sure. um, I don't even think I ever even picked six of them. You know what I mean? It was like, <laughs> right, I got right. stuck on a few of them and was like, that's, that's my thing, you know? But yeah. um, it was an interesting practice that I had never that done. Is, you know? It was a is. lot of, 
it's like med- meditating and you know I, and again I I should meditate more cuz when I used to do it it was it was you know incredible cuz you sit there for 15 minutes and you just look inward on yourself and like figure out what it is you want to do and then right. you just go do it you know it's right right and then you don't care about all the stuff there's so you know to quote Tim Robinson this world this fucking world's so fucked up you know it's like <laughs> it's just like yeah it is you know yeah. there's so much you can you can just get so bogged down with that well, stuff well isn't that then, what know, it is at this point i mean it's i think it's part of what you're talking about is like at at every point somebody has to make that conclusion right that the world is fucked up things are unjust and i think it's the idea that like you cannot control it and the only thing you can control is how you receive what's happening, right? Correct. And, and and I think that's part of like the letting go of it all is just this idea that like, it's not like you're, uh, I think that's um, sometimes a naive part of what people consider enlightenment. It's not moving past these things. It's accepting these things, right? Yeah, it's 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 under the same kind of umbrella as like you know, all right, this fucked up thing happened to me, and you know, it's happening to a lot of other people too. That was another, right. you know, right. you're sitting in the ICU with like someone who just got their leg amputated, or you know, and you're like, wow, man, this is just insane. Like, yeah, there's- it feels so unique, right? I, you know, I, I had that instance the other night, and it was kind of a a beautiful and strange thing to consider. I was outside. And uh, a plane went overhead. And for some reason, like, I just decided to, like, not just see the plane, but, like, imagine myself. And when I see myself in that kind of Truman Show sort of way, like, I see this huge life. I see a soul. I see the beginning. I see family. I see hundreds of years of connections one way or the other in this, this giant thing. And I'm looking up on the plane. I'm like, there's 200 of those on there. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, I could like not consider this thing for any variety of reasons. But like you have to put yourself in the mix of all of it, right? To actually start to feel okay with things. A hundred percent. And I also think that like, to me, what helped with that too is kind of looking uh, a little looking at a little bit like what you just said, where I'm like, I'm physically looking at what's surrounding me, my neighbors, you know, my, the people who run the coffee shop down the street from me, you know, the, like the person who's always our waitress at the restaurant down the street and like, and kind of starting to like zoom in a little bit, I guess, because Mm -hmm. it's so hard when you see everything at once, you see everything all at once now. And it's almost impossible for the, the human mind to like comprehend all that like you you as an individual are not going to fix all those things but you can tip your local waitress a little more right, or like right. be nicer to your neighbor or like you know be forgiving to like you know and it it's to me that's helped me a little bit trying to be like okay you know I can I can do that I can be good to the people around me and try to improve my relationships with those people and the people that I'm actually physically in front of. Because like when you think of everything else, it's like, it's too overwhelming for me. You know, it's yeah. Yeah. Between, between like uh, American exceptionalism and being raised in like a Christian Catholic type nation. I think that's one of the biggest things people philosophically suffer from is like, you're, you're almost raised with this, like 
purveying feeling of self-importance and self-worth. You know, like you're supposed to think you're that much better. You're supposed to imagine that you're so much smarter and stronger than the people around you that you can succeed better than them and get more for yourself. You know, it's literally like ingrained in our entire society to think that way. And it's like, it takes anybody some type of re-education almost when you're raised in this society to, to even come to that conclusion. For sure. It's, I think, I think that is another great takeaway from, you know, I try to look at the positives of these, the past few years of my experience and like, I don't know, just reframing that, I guess, right. Is, is, is something that I feel like I've taken away. That's, that's a little more positive to just kind of flip that on its head, I guess. Right. Cause it's, yeah, again, it's just like, it's so insane, man. I mean, there's just so much you could just go into, you know what I mean? I there could just is. sit here all day long and be like, this is the reason why I'm this way. <laughs> and that <laughs> being like, said, Kevin <laughs> is the reason we're stopping the bummer stuff right now. Let's do it. Cause I have Please. some funny stuff to get to too. Okay? Awesome. That's, and that's why I'm, I'm interested. Let's in clip it. Anybody who's listening, you're <laughs> off. You're off the train. You can stop thinking you can pour another scotch because we got funny <laughs> stories now. So I was speaking to a friend of yours, a uh, engineer type. I think you'll know who it is eventually, who told me uh, an interesting story about the Gates. Gates? Gates. Now, now where was the story there? I think it must have been our first tour. Uh huh. Um, We played it up. God, where was it? It was some Missouri or something like that. Um, we we opened for like I think it must have been a cover a cover band maybe. Okay, it was like everyone was seated and the engineer made us turn our amps around because they were too loud. Oh, that's a good you know like good, to face against the wall. Good start. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the I think now the band that was opening up for us they um they they were like gonna hype us up you know they were like well we got a band from out of town up next what what are they called you know and uh i'm pretty sure dan king our guitarist just yelled out gates <laughs> and the guy just went with it he was like gates yeah they're, they're playing next 100 yeah. percent, you know um and it was fucking hilarious and you're like this yep this is our first tour 100 <laughs> percent." did you doubt you you should have made a shirt or something with the emphatic gates yeah like with the uh, little pronunciation yeah. like marks <laughs> Is there? There's no one in the band that speaks Spanish, right? <laughs> Not to my knowledge. Yeah. So, so that little story came from uh, your boy Rob Freeman up at Audio Pilot. Oh yes, he loves to call us Gates. So too. okay, so he loves to call <laughs> you the Gates. <laughs> yep, definitely. <laughs> and uh, I just got to uh, experience the uh, Audio Pilot compound that you have a lot of experience with. What a fine place. Yeah, would you? How how was your how was your experience? How would you rate it? I gotta I gotta say, very high. Um, you know, I had very I didn't have low expectations. I had no expectations. I just didn't know what I was walking into. Um, you know, aside for a quick Google, and of course, I don't like to drive. I mean, you make me go to Sussex County in New Jersey. I'm already <laughs> not not pleased for a variety of reasons, but uh. You know, I pull into this place. Uh, 
you know, I'm like a total forest nerd right now. So like I pull into a driveway with six acres of forest, these mature maples with fucking taps in them. I mean, literally, I stay there one night and I show up the next morning and Rob's got two warm banana breads and mm. fresh maple syrup from his trees in Belgium. What? The, he doesn't do that for us. Well, you know, you know Kevin, <laughs> you got, you got, maybe mix, mix some big albums, you know? <laughs> <laughs> he's like you guys aren't big enough for this you, you're yeah. not top you don't get for this. bread yet got to the fresh maple syrup <laughs> no maple for you got no i loved it i thought it was great and uh i thought rob was great too i mean you know really quick and proficient knew what he was doing easy to be around like everything you want you know yeah, Rob is is an ultimate homie for letting me use his studio. I mean, I think in, when it was in Boonton, um, I think I did Owl, the band Owl there. That was the first thing I did there. Um, their manager, Mike Lita, he just he knew Rob and, and booked Owl at the studio and they wanted me to engineer the record. So he just, you know, showed me how everything worked and just left, you know? And if I had problems, I call him and he would come in. His patch bay is... I'm always, he always gives us crap for bringing too much gear and he gives me crap specifically because I always have guitar pedals all Uh, over the floor mm -hmm. when I'm recording. Mm -hmm. So he always comes in and and is like, you're such a slob. So I'm going to give him crap about how his patch bay is wired because it's just, I haven't, it's just only he knows what he was thinking. You know, it's like not, (laughs) it's not standard in any way. (laughs) Okay. If I have to repatch something, I'm like, you got to come help me, dude. Just can't do it there. um, Ah. So, but I, you know, I love the Boone studio and I honestly think that his studio in Birum, I guess it's called, is it's, it's like, I, that's probably my heaven, you know, it's like just amazing. You know, it's like a huge field. You can make fires there. It's got a nice little kitchen. The room sounds incredible. It's just, there's like natural light, you know, there's not a lot of studios where that's available. That's true. Yeah. Um, It's usually some corner, some sort of dungeon vibe where you're kind of like, right in the darkness and you don't know what time of day it is. And it's like just so beautiful there, man. And, and, you know, we started just going there with one song at a time. And we went there once just to be like, let's try it out. And we were like, dude, we have to just keep coming here. It's just, yeah, you know, just a perfect kind of place to retreat and make a, make an album. Yeah. I was like looking for excuses to like spend a day there when like the bass was tracking. I'm like, can I just exactly. can I just, just wander the grounds for a day? And, just play frisbee yeah, like yeah, the rest of the guys did. In. We were doing some wiffle ball. So speaking of which, I have a question. I have a hypothetical question based on studios. Let's say some rich, famous music engineer, let's say Rick Rubin, called you. And he's like, what's up, Kevin? I love your talent. I'm a big fan of Gates albums. Got taste albums. <laughs> He's like, here's like ten million dollars to just ten million. Holy yeah. shit! Yeah, <laughs> well, because I'm telling you're buying property now too. Uh, All right, to build your dream studio. Ah, uh, yeah. Like, where is it? What's the vibe? How long until you're in just like white linen, twenty four seven? I want to pretend I've never thought about this. Oh, you've like thought I about don't, it. Yeah. Like I don't think about this every day. Well, lately, so lately, because okay. me and, and Sarah, my wife, we moved to Nashville in November. 
of 2020. So we just moved here. Um, and we live in a house now, which we lived in an apartment in Brooklyn for 10 years. So I mean, the last one we lived in, we lived in for like eight years. So we lived in the same apartment for a really long time. So now, of course, we're walking around the neighborhood like that place is for sale. That place is for sale. You right, know, right. Uh, we rent yeah. the house we're in now. But a lot of places here have like an extra like like a detached garage with like a room above it. Clearly meant to be a studio because everyone here like, yes. works in music, you yeah. know, <laughs> And there's that one, that Berry Hills section, right? Where all the studios are. Yeah. It's like just a street of studios, you know, it's like one after another. And, um, you know, clearly everyone here, even if they're a songwriter or whatever, they need a place to like, you know, record stuff. And they, they usually use a room of their house and how convenient would it be if it was just detached from your, your house, you know? So it happens a lot here. Like they even, a guy built a house across the street from us and, it's got that, you know, and we were looking at it. We're like, oh, this house is beautiful. It's going up. And then you look, it's like, it's like almost a million dollars because the housing market's like fucking crazy, yeah, you right. know? So, yeah. but like that, I think because of Rob's studio, because he's got his house and then his studio is on his property, that just seeing him kind of stroll across the lawn every day. Right. And he's got, a, it's a detached thing because I work in the house now and it can be a little bit like, you know, you go downstairs to make lunch and you see like the dishes and then you're yeah. like, oh, I forgot to like, you know, I forgot to walk my dog. I got to go do right. that. And all There's of a sudden some... creative brain is off. Yep. And yeah. so, you know, I think everyone who's working from home now is experiencing a little bit of that. And I've been doing that for a while. And I think having that detached thing, but it's not, I don't have to like commute 45 minutes mm-hmm. to it would mm-hmm. be like super cool. And then obviously if I had $10 million, I'd have like, every piece of vintage gear you could ever imagine and like so wait, an so insane wait, wait, wait. amount of 10 shit. million you're staying in nashville <laughs> you know like I'm you're just staying, staying where in the I place live. where there's already like eight thousand studios <laughs> like you're, so, well, you're not getting like a private island and flying bands i mean i guess for 10 million dollars i could get a private catalina sure. wine mixer like you really <laughs> you got a lot of money here you know I mean, dude, I can't even fathom what $10 million would be like. I mean, you know, like that's insane. It's a lot <laughs> of scratch. I don't know if I want to live on a private island, though. Right. I kind of liked living in New York City for what it was worth. You know, like I like being close to a city where well, you yeah. can actually go do and stuff. With $10 million, New York's not a miserable place to live. It's probably nice. Right. Like, yeah, I yeah. might actually be able to come back. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. um, might actually be able to build a studio there. It would probably be like a pretty modest studio in New York City, but you'd yeah, be in the right. city. At you least know? you'd be there. Yeah. We, we definitely talk about that. We're like, if we win the lottery, we'll probably just move back to New York City because you can actually afford it. You yes. know, it's like, it's a, it's different when you're not like working four jobs there, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, 100%. That might be something. I, I like being near a city, you know? I kind of like, I like it here. We haven't been here long enough for me to be like, you know, oh, yeah, I'm staying here my whole life. But I like that I'm in a house. My neighbors are still pretty close, you know, but I'm I'm able to like make noise in here and not bother them. And we're like a 10 minute drive into like downtown Nashville. So it's, we kind of have the best of both worlds here, which I think I don't want to be out in the middle of nowhere. You know, I want, I'd want to be kind of closer to, to like an act like civilization. You know, I, I don't that, think I would. Cause even now that you mentioned Rob, I mean, one thing becomes abundantly clear is that Rob works his ass off to have that place. Like I literally watched him finish like mixing for a day and jump on a huge riding mower for two. Did he have his hat on though? He, uh, I don't think he had a mowing hat, 
But I did. He's got. A, he's got a hat. But it's, I did like recognize right off where I'm like, all right, like this seems nice, and it seems like the ultimate scenario. But unless you're that type of person who doesn't mind working all day and then mowing the lawn for two hours, which is not me, uh, then you can't have this. You know. Yeah, that's a big lawn too. It's, like, it's, it's six it's, acres. It's, it's sizable. He told me and he's got one of those like perf- huge like I know like when the guys come to mow your lawn in thirty seconds yeah. things, but he's out there for like a couple hours on that thing. He was showing know? it off, and I do that thing now that I I finally bought a place with a lawn, but I'm like nine months out of like forty years in to doing this, right? So I don't know what I'm talking about, but I pretend. And Rob, Rob gave me the lawnmower business as if like I knew exactly what he was talking about. He's like, yeah, I used to have a, I used to have a nine inch and now I moved up to like the two and a half feet takes me this long instead of this long. I'm like, oh, that's great, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you got to do. I fucking no clue. <laughs> I still, I still hire You're like, dude, I, yeah. I have no idea no, what, what no. I'm doing. I grew up in my mom's low income apartment. I just got one of these, you know? <laughs> But, I don't even know what I bought. I, I the first no. link on Craigslist was what I. Dude, I just my landlord that. left yeah. me like a a non powered one, oh. like you know from like oh really like, I, like a cedar? yeah like I haven't <laughs> seen one of those and like and so I used it once as like this fucking sucks and now my neighbor just mows the lawn for us and I just do the weed whacking. Oh, that's We've fair. got like an agreement a good going deal, on. little gentleman's <laughs> agreement. Yeah, it's pretty dope. So what's uh what's something that you didn't expect? from Nashville or from your experience there that, that you've had? What's been a surprise Ooh, about Nashville? Honestly, I'm surprised by how small it is. Huh? Yeah. To be, I think coming from New York city though, it's like, I think everything is smaller than that, well, but it is. it's not, I think it's less than a million people here. Um, yeah. It's oh, kind of like, I didn't like realize a, that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I thought it would be a lot. Like there'd be more people walking around. There's like nobody ever Walk, you know, like, and you go to like the green market or whatever, and there's like 20 people there. You're like, it's not, there's not a lot of people anywhere. You know, I kind of expected the only place there's a ton of people is Broadway, and they're all coming there for, they're like tourists. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. They don't actually live here. They want to so, look at cool guitars and eat like overpriced deviled eggs. Exactly. And just go to like the Jason Aldean's. The population of Nashville um, is 1.27 million. Oh, it is one over one. Just it's over. probably because in the last year, like 400,000 people like me just like decided to come there here. There has been a, a 2% increase from each of 19 to 20 to 21. Wow. So, yeah. People are coming in. Twenty five About 25,000 new people to Nashville a year. Well, They're definitely building like a lot of stuff here. And 12,700 sure. are singers. <laughs> that sounds right well, yeah. that definitely sounds right I, know. I remember the first time I went to uh, you ever gone to Santa's pub is that still open I haven't gone there if it is open I don't All right, know. so it's a I've double wide trailer uh, I don't even remember what neighborhood close to that Berry Hill neighborhood that only serves beer and it, an actual guy who looks like Santa runs it that's why it's Santa's pub but they do karaoke there and I'm like, this place is a, a hellhole. Let's hang out here. I love this. And we start hanging out there. And the one thing I quickly realized was like, oh, I am not doing karaoke in Nashville. Oh, like yeah. this is fucked. Like I'm in the crappiest place I can imagine being. And these people are ripping it. Like this is not the place for ironic 
fun karaoke, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, Sarah, my wife, Sarah, and uh, this artist, Ross Newhouse, that I was producing last month, they, he was here for a month and we were doing a record with him. And one day I had, I was, you know, I had two other songs I needed to mix or something. So I was like, listen, man, I need a day to mix these songs. He's like, cool, I'll find something to do. And what he ended up finding to do is like him and Sarah went to a karaoke bar. Uh-oh. And I went and met them there, um, like after I'd finished the mixes. And Sarah's a fantastic singer, way better than me. Oh, so okay. she's definitely like, and she loves karaoke. Nice. Like, absolutely loves it. And I fucking hate it because, <laughs> you know, I just don't want to be like judged on my singing voice, you know? Right, so. Right. But, you know, I walk in and she's doing like one of her like go-to songs, you know, I can't even remember which one. It was like Cheryl Crow or something like that. And then Ross did Train and it was fucking hilarious. Like <laughs> they, I think, I think she was sending me videos of that before I got there. Okay. And it, I was like, that's so fucking funny. And then I get there and like, yeah, every single person is like the best singer I've ever heard, <laughs> right, you know? Right. And you're like, yeah, I'm definitely never doing uh-huh. this here. Like a hundred percent never doing yeah. this here. Like... And I I didn't come here under any like you know sus- like like under any inclination that I was like somehow good at like <laughs> like performing you know I was right. like I'll just record the people who are good at, good at performing yeah. I don't need to you know so like I think I'm I'm a little less self conscious about that than maybe like someone who would come here and be like I'm a singer and then go somewhere and be like because there's literally people playing music here everywhere yeah you know it's like yeah. they got a band set up at the food court they got a band set up at the Apple store like you can't go anywhere without there being live music and every single one of them is better at their instrument than you'll ever be yeah you know? you're so, at like yeah. the well, airport seeing the best lap steel player you've ever seen yeah 100%. that's totally my experience is that like yeah the guy like you said playing guitar at the food court is better than the best guitar player I know in Manhattan yeah <laughs> You just like jaw like drop, depressing. like dude. That is <laughs> that guy is so good at that. Like, yeah, you know, it's it's pretty insane for sure. But yeah, I, I think because I don't have any delusions that I'm like somehow good at, at performing. <laughs> I'm like, again, my entire mentality from fourth grade on has been like, learn as much as I need to accomplish what I want to, and then stop learning. You know, like so, <laughs> I'm not proficient like in the way of like. I'm some like virtuoso that can play. It's like, I know how to play every instrument like a little bit good, you know, (laughs) where I'm like, yep, I know three chords on the piano. That's enough to write a song, right? You know, so, um, you know, I I don't, I think because I'm like, I feel okay about being good at like recording music. I don't, it doesn't bother me that much, but you know, it's definitely a little intimidating. You're like, wow, man, like this is, and seriously, everywhere you're like, I'm walking down the street and looking in the window. It's like, that guy's got a stand-up bass. Oh, that guy's got a fucking piano in his living room. Like everyone, you know, <laughs> I talked to my neighbor. He's like, oh yeah, the guy across the street, he bought that house because he, he wrote a song and he sold it or something. You're like, everyone here is just like doing that, you know? So um, it's both really cool and exciting. And you kind of feel like you might just like stumble into something and meet somebody and be like, all right, cool. Like, um, but also, yeah, a little intimidating where you're like, wow, like I don't know anybody here. <laughs> I'm just showing up like all right you know like does what's it, going on does but, it have that la thing as a result where like everybody's kind of wondering who anybody is when they meet him is there kind of like a that like false niceness thing in case you're running into someone who is successful that type of thing that happens in la you know i don't 
Or is it too too Southern hospitality still? I feel like you. I think you'd be better at picking up like what people are are laying down, like as far as a social interaction is concerned. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. you know. So I feel like I'm I'm really bad person to ask that question because I would probably walk away from like talking to someone and not really pick up on like as many like social cues as somebody oh, else would. Okay. You know what I mean? Like you're like aloof to that but, kind of stuff. You think? Yeah. But I would be, you know, we know, we know some people here that are, are friends with us so, and we basically hang out with them. So it's, right. I, I kind of just like have only really hung out the people that I already know so far. And because we moved here in November and then it was like complete and utter, you know, worst of COVID uh, we didn't go anywhere at all. And then it's kind of, it kind of opened up for a couple of weeks and I was in New Jersey, like working on a record for most of that. Right. And then, and then Delta started popping off. So we just like, don't, we don't do a whole lot. And I haven't met a lot of people here um, to really know, you know, what the vibe is mm. for sure. But um, I, I will say, you know, it's, it's been really nice and, and awesome here so far. You know, it's definitely like, been really cool that a lot of the artists that I, I work with in New York and New Jersey, especially ones that I had planned on working with, when I told them I was moving, they were, every single one of them was like, oh, I'll just come to Nashville. So yeah, sure. I've had a lot of people come here and uh, like bring me some some awesome local New York City beers that I've been missing. And they always bring <laughs> me a couple four packs and then we make a record here. Uh-oh. And- Brad. They go home and it's cool. Yeah, you got to tell me. Give yeah, me some names. Spill the beans. Brad. Brad's a, an IPA miss? snob too. Oh man, yeah. So Grim is my favorite for okay. sure. Um, and they were they were like ten minutes away from my old apartment, so I used to walk down there and just get all their stuff. And uh, other half, um, obviously, is like the IPA giant in New York. Um, we actually have Threes Brewing distributes here, which is really cool. So I usually get like Threes stuff from the local store if I'm like, I really need like one of these New York City IPAs. And I'm not even kidding. Like <laughs> I've gotten a lot of like craft brews here and there are really good ones. But especially when I first moved here, I really was like being a snob about it. Like these suck. I <laughs> I can't drink this shit, you know? Um, but I've since found a lot that are really, really fantastic. But yeah, um, luckily these artists keep just bringing me <laughs> like care packages of Grimm, you know? Greasing the wheels. Kevin, let me ask you something. It's something that's come up a couple times on the pod before. Let's take this hypothetical, okay? Mm-hmm. Say I show up to your house 11 oh, o'clock God. at night. You're not expecting me, okay? Sure. And I have an <laughs> ice cold six pack of... Coronas, you know, not probably not your favorite type of beer. And I go, Kevin, like, you got a minute, man. I just need to talk, have a couple beers with people. Like, will you sit down with me? Now, let's say you have one of your nice IPAs in the fridge. <laughs> Do you accept one of my beers, sit down and chat with me, or do you sneak one of my beers away, go get yourself one of your beers, and then sit down? well i would never like i would never sneak one of your beers away that's for sure okay Um, so if i hand it to you you're like all right i'm into a corona right now yeah and honestly a time and place like coronas are great you know i'm not that kind of a snob i'm not gonna be like nah, i'm not gonna drink this piss water you know like um like modello is definitely like a gates gates beer for sure like when we're at the pool or whatever we're at the beach like it's like modello's all day long and like 
I'm all about it for sure. I think if you showed up and you had a six pack Corona, I would just drink, drink the Coronas with you. Honestly. Um, it's nice. You know, I don't think I'm going to like the stand up move because also it's his thing. I just think it's kind of, it's just, it would feel rude to me to go into my fridge and be like, I'm not going to pull I'm going to pull out this like, fancy thing that's better than the shit you brought over. You know, that's just like a weird mm. thing to do. I feel the same way. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I do. How about you, like Brad? Pre- How do you feel well, about this? You picked the wrong <laughs> you picked the wrong beer, Benny, because I will drink oh, a nice cold Corona. Okay. However, What's the maybe, shit beer you won't drink though? If if you were to <laughs> offer me perhaps a Corona light <laughs> Or, uh, you know, a natural pretty much ice? any light beer. I'll drink a, dude, I'll happily drink a can of Bud, you know, on the lake. Hell but, yeah. What about a Keystone Light? Yeah, Keystone. Oh, God. Let's get, let's get into That's Natty. A, while. a little Natty it's Light. Been, natty Ice. Yeah, Natty. Dude, there's, there's a lot of natural ice tall boy because you mm. can drink as a passenger in the car here. Oh, my God. So if you're <laughs> yeah. walking down the street, there's just natural ice cans like littering the side of the road. That's it's like whoever is like the passenger in the car is just drinking 25 ounce <laughs> natural ice and just throwing it out the window. I think if you brought over natural ice, I'd probably be like, are you all right? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, know? you do need to talk. Yeah. yeah like you really, you, yeah. Maybe, maybe we should, you know, like not drink that or so, you know, Kevin, I have these four steel reserves. All right. We're going, I'm admitting you. I'm admitting you right now. Are you okay? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think there, that would be, that would be a, yeah. a line to draw. That's some next sure. level shit. Yeah. A hundred percent. All right. Well, I have a version of a mystery friend today. Um, which is a, a little little game we play on the show where I find a story from one of your friends. They tell me, and you have to guess who told me. Got it. So this person told me two, and I was hoping that this would make you infer. A was the time that Gates played with a boy band in Buffalo. I'd like to hear that story. And the other is about Kevrants. Which is apparently when you, when you're supposed to be working, go on incredibly long tangents about other things. That is, yes. Kevrance is definitely a thing. <laughs> um, it was really bad when I had Facebook and I worked in the laundromat. I had nothing to do but just like go on Facebook and complain. Complain about what? Um, like laundry? I, I mean, you name it, I complained about it probably. <laughs> I would say it was, it was, a, it was. There wasn't a, it wasn't very focused. Right. You know, it was just like me just tossing out some negative energy <laughs> in every direction. But, you know, that's hard because the boy band story is difficult because we played a show with this boy band in Buffalo with Let Me Run, mm. which is a band from New Jersey that consists of a lot of friends of mine. That, so yeah. that doesn't, that, that makes it hard. Well, give me the story um, anyway. How did you wind up playing with a boy band in Buffalo? Um, so. It, again, it was our first tour. Oh, this was a this was a eventful tour. Yeah, yeah. It was. I mean, it was all shows like that. Yeah. You know, I remember. You, you know, you go on a tour and you're playing like House of Blues or ever. You don't really remember the show necessarily per no. se. And on, only on your the first tour, pudding. it's the only thing I'll ever remember from House of Blues. <laughs> I, I just remember there being like ballast point in the fridge. I mean, like holy shit, we made it. <laughs> right, <you know>? yeah. <laughs> but. uh but like, yeah, you, you go on your first tour, you're like, dude, this every single show is like the most ridiculous thing you've ever done, yes. you know, like, and so that day 
this guy, you know, we booked the whole thing ourselves. We had like an Excel spreadsheet going, you know, with like, is this show good? You know, and then like half of them fall through while you're on the road anyway. But um, this dude was like, he was acting like he was some sort of big shot promoter. And he, he offered us a lot more money than anyone else that gave us a show. And he was like, there's going to be pizza and all this stuff. He was like adamant that this show is going to be awesome. And Let Me Run was touring too. And they booked the same show. And we were really excited. We we're like, oh, we'll be in Buffalo together. It'll be super cool. When I got there, it was like very obvious that immediately there was like maybe 10 people in the crowd. So you're like, okay, we're not getting paid. Yeah, right. um, One of these. And there was pizza. And I, okay. I went to, I opened the box and there was one slice left. And this guy, the promoter goes, you're not going to eat that, are you? Because there's a band on the way and they're going to be really upset if there's no pizza left. (laughs) 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 And I was like, holy shit, that's where we're at with this? And Buffalo pizza nonetheless. We're not in New York City, you know? And it was, dude, it was shit. It had been sitting there for like a long time, (laughs) you know? like Was he expecting like four really thin little slices for the other band? And I'm pretty sure the other band was this this basically boy band. And they rolled up in a fucking bus with a trailer that was like could fit our van in it. Oh, like good. we could have driven our van inside the trailer. And you open it up and they had like a wardrobe, you know? <laughs> oh my God. And they had those kind of road cases that were like as tall as them. And they were all like, each one of them was like seven feet tall, you know? And like they had like their cabs and their heads and they had in-ear systems in there and they rolled these fuckers into this little teeny venue and set them all up and then they played and it was just tracks you know they didn't even play anything wow. it's like the singer had his hand over the mic and he, he kind of covered his face up so you couldn't tell he was like lip syncing you know did they roll their cr- own wardrobe cases in or did they have like a crew as well the wardrobe cases stayed in the van okay um but the, I mean, the the road cases for their gear were like insane. I I feel like they had people with them. Yeah. Um, Do you remember their but name? But it was, I think it was like after party or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it was something with party in it for sure. That's and they, they had sunglasses on when they played. You know, even though it was dark in there and. Um, it was ridiculous, man. And I do remember. I specifically remember Dan King of Gates going up to the singer, and. Being like, dude, you guys were so awesome, man. You're so good at singing. You sounded like a fucking robot. <laughs> like, com- like, basically calling him out for being like, you didn't sing, you know? And the dude was like, thanks so much, man. That means so much. <laughs> yeah. And didn't get it at all, you know? And we all thought it was so funny. Wait, I found him online. Is it the after it's party? the after party. I see him. They, are they still a band? I mean, no way. they're a boy band. Ah. <laughs> oh yeah this is good oh it's like emo boy band yeah they played instruments like yes. there was a singer and they all played instruments like yeah i found but it. i still think it qualified as a boy band to me because it's just a whole vibe you know right. like, oh this is a boy band yeah a hundred percent yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. definitely wow this is fantastic yeah it was incredible did you get stuff. to know him at all no no i was I, again so Going back to the like core values authenticity thing, they pissed me off bad. You know, I was like mad that they didn't sing. I was like, yeah, fuck these guys. And we, you know, we have the song Walls that was like to me was all like 
calling people out like that, uh-huh. you know? And I, I, I remember singing it, like to, looking directly at those guys the whole night, thinking that they were like getting the message. You know what I mean? Yes. And it was like so late. Like they didn't fucking care. You know? Yeah. Like, I know but, the uh, exact, I know the exact feeling you went through because <laughs> I, I've had, a, we had a couple moments like that through the years where there was just like, you know, someone who took too much tour support and, you know, rolls up to an opening gig with like a huge bus and trailer and a whole system and, you know, plays it off. Like it, it is, I don't know. When, when you're roughing it out there on the road, it's almost like, you know, truckers think they own the road because they've just been on it for like the last 14 hours. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like the same feel. If you've been touring for like three weeks in a van and someone shows up like that, you you kind of feel like you own the grit at that point, you know? It's, yeah. It's not in for the back of your head, have. you're like, damn, I wish I had a, I was, I wish I was like sleeping in a bunk on the yeah. way to the next show. If I only had <laughs> suspenders and a skinny tie, I could be on that thing, you know? I could have, or you're also like, wow, he didn't even have to sing. Yeah, like, what right. the hell? <laughs> right. Like, I had to like rest my voice the night before just to get yeah. through the set. Like, that dude yeah. didn't even sing a note. Like, how do you like, get that gig? You know? Exactly. Yeah. I'm like, man, they're the, like, who paid for that? <laughs> like, that's insane. Like, they didn't get any money for that show. We played the same horrible ass show yeah, and they right. didn't get any pizza either. No, so, like, no. <laughs> you know, like, where did this, where did this, these guys come from? Yeah, but their but, tour support turned into two rooms and $60 worth of dominoes, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, so, so you don't have to feel bad for them. All right, it, it converted easily. There's no way you would guess. So this was from your your other audio buddy, Rocky Catanese. I, I kind of thought it might be him. Yes. Um, but yes, Rocky is. I was imagining the homie. You and Rocky uh, with a Kev rant could probably go a long way. Oh yeah, dude. The, every time we get to, I mean, whenever Rocky calls me about something that should take thirty seconds, we're on the phone for two hours. <laughs> like he's that's he's that kind of friend. Like we just like instantly start talking about like the deepest shit. Who's you know? on it's the couch like, first? You or him? Well, like literally, I remember meeting Rocky at Country Living. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, Trevor's house. Uh, yeah. Uh huh. And. I'm pretty sure he was sitting on the couch when I walked in playing his um, Rickenbacker uh-huh. guitar, which he, I don't think he has him because Rocky's gear, you know, he's constantly yeah, got yeah, like yeah. some new it's thing. Like um, and somehow we got talking about the band Gatsby's American Dream, which is like one of my favorite bands of all time. And he was, he was into them and, you know, everyone in no one else in New Jersey at that point, I, I think had even heard wow. of that band. So yeah. I was like, damn, this guy's awesome. Like he knows, he knows Gatsby's American dream, but I'm pretty sure he was literally sitting on a couch. So all emo laying on a couch, <laughs> playing guitar, talking about Gatsby's American dream. That's like, but no, the second he hears you, you're like Gatsby's American dream. He's like, like what? he perks up, yeah. you know, it's like, Oh shit, we're going to talk about the, you know? Yeah. So, um, it was definitely all about one of my favorite pastimes sure. in a mercy union van has become watching Jared Hart's reaction to Rocky's music choices. <laughs> I think Rocky is like Ethan is the Rocky of Gates for sure. He I think is? their appreciation of like nineties like wow. rock, you know, like um That's shocking to me. Gin blossoms and uh like what else would I would I expect Rocky to put on? I thought like, Ethan f- would be like the most subversive in Gates. Like, hey, check this out, guys. I didn't think about the other I didn't think he'd be interesting. That. Yeah, I read nah, I read nah, that wrong. Yeah, but also Ethan has he has pretty eclectic takes, but a lot like a lot of stuff that 
it either leans that way or it's like like he'll put on like John Mayer or something. Or then wow. I remember he'll he'll like he was the one who showed me like obviously I knew who Nine Inch Nails was growing up, but like he played me like the fragile and was like, You need to listen to this record, you know? Okay. So that was he's got, you know, it's like he he's really into that shit and then he'll be into like, yeah, something like what the fuck is <laughs> like this like kind of like acoustic guy like uh <laughs> kind of lighter rock thing you know what yeah. i mean um and i feel like rocky likes like some of that stuff too there's like a little bit of a, an overlap there sure for sure sure but, um when you're like when you're writing a gate song you know i'm listening to it before and you know so much of a gates uh you know paradigm inside of a song is based on sort of peaks and valleys right like there's a lot of you know, build up and release and build up and release. Do you ever like get to a part and just feel like really letting it go? Like being like, you know what? Fuck it. Like Gates is going to have a blast beat now. Like Gates is just going to get real fast or like, I feel like we get to parts every once in a while. And I'm like, this is their opportunity. This could be a Mastodon part if they wanted it. Uh, yeah, and I t- I totally am the one who w- who wants to do that almost every time. Oh. I feel like I I'm they clip your wings. I'm not reserved. Okay. You know, <laughs> I I'm always trying to do something that's extreme. Uh huh. You know, like okay. I want to make it really uh, those those dynamics. I guess are like I always want to push them really far. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think. Like I remember really early on, um, when we wrote Sleepwalker off of the for our first EP, um, that was the first thing we really wrote together as a group. And the end of the song like builds and builds like classic, like post rock style, and yeah. then it just stops right when you think it would be it would go into that like climactic part. Mm-hmm. And just there's just like crazy delay noise for like a minute and it just fades out very slowly. Oh. And like I wanted it to go into that like cliche post rock, like just loudest thing ever, you know, with like the plotting beat. And I just was like, yeah, we got to do that. And we, we did it a couple times. And then I think Mike was like, what if it just stopped at the build? What if it just like build up and stopped, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, and I, I mean, we did it and I was like, that's, cool because it's unexpected <laughs> right, right it's not right. what I, we i would expect to do sure and again i feel like i am inclined to just do something that you would kind of feel like you could possibly you know what i mean like oh yeah we should go into that we should do that you know and and they tend to be a little bit more like um reserved and i guess honestly at the end of the day maybe even more interesting sometimes or like huh. they have ideas that you know, I wouldn't have thought of a little far you know, out I would of the ju- box. Would just tend to be like, but but then again, like a blast beat in the gate song would be pretty pretty interesting. I think. I mean, so. I just I hear it sometimes. Speaking of gate, the, the deaf heaven style, like just kind of yeah, like but you know, I guess if it's someone else's style, that's why you shouldn't do it. Um, speaking of gates, Brad, do you have that little audio queued up? This question's for Kevin and Benny, both uh, long-haired gentlemen. Um, so Gates has gone through a lot of different, uh, I guess, personal <laughs> looks in terms of hair. Who do you prefer with long hair? Who do you prefer with short hair? <laughs> Amazing. So from our very own Dan King, legend, legend among Absolute men. legend. Which I don't think, I can't imagine Dan King with long hair. Well, you better look at him now. 
Wait, how long's his hair? It's pretty fucking <gasps> long. Stop it. Dan, so let's just start with Dan because he, he presented the question. He has long hair now. It's probably like shoulder length. Whoa. Um, and he has a mustache. Oh my God. Right now. And I think he looks so fucking cool. <sighs> and I'm super jealous of of his look. It's fucking dumb. I'm very so aroused. I, 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 I personally am very into the Dan King long hair. Okay. For sure. I think it's a very solid, solid look for him. What about um, the others? Mike had really long hair for a very long time, but I kind of like him with short hair. Yes. And he has short hair right now. I agree. I think he looks, he looks very good. He looks sharp. Sh- he, He's got that he traditional will, Irish handsomeness that just comes out when he has short hair. Absolutely. And I do, every once in a while, Mike grows like a really huge beard and yeah. I think it looks fucking dope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and he's always like, nah, like he gets long enough and he just gets sick of it. But like I've, at one point he had like short hair and a, like a huge beard. And I was like, that looks That's the look. And now he's <laughs> but, Mr. Upstate New York. So yeah, the beard, so beard's coming back, for right? this winter. Yeah. There's no way. That's the look up yeah, there for no, sure. That's how you fit um, in. Ethan, Ethan had long hair for a while too. And I also, I think I prefer his short hair okay. as well. I feel like I'm cheating because I kind of prefer everyone's like current look, I think. Um, That's okay. Maybe you guys have but, really master, honed in on your look right now. Yeah. I think they've, I think we've all figured it and out. And you, you are, I mean? you're a strictly long hair these days. Yeah. So the, the reason I ended up growing my hair out is because I went to a barber in New York and I, I didn't look up anything. I just like walked, there was a, like a, you know, a striped pole across the street mm-hmm. from my apartment and I just walked in there and I was like, cut my hair. And I had, you know, kind of like mid length, like floppy hair at the time. And she basically shaved my head. Um, <laughs> okay. And I remember specifically her saying, oops, while she was cutting oh. my hair. So I walked out of there with, I was basically bald. You oh, know? No. I was like, um, <laughs> Okay, I'm never getting a haircut again. And I didn't get a haircut for like two years. We're talking and no I, attachment shaved head? I mean, it was, I can, I can show you. It was, short, I had hair, but it was like short. Oh, it was man. like very, it was like half an inch. Man, It was like, you couldn't style it, you know? It was like, not good. Just there, you know? Um, and so that was, I think, I was like, fuck this. I'm, and it, I get so, it's again, it's one of those things where I'm sitting there and I'm like, what do I talk about? And like, what are they, you know, like the whole experience is, was, is weird for me, you know? Yeah. Like, um, so like I was like, perfect. I'm not, I'm never getting a haircut again. So then I just grew my hair out and then was like, Oh, it actually, it's kind of cool. Cause I don't really have to do anything to style it. Sure. And I don't, if I cut it every six months, no one even notices, yes. you know? So it kind of got really convenient. You do you know? cut your own hair? Um, no. Oh, okay. No, Richie used to cut my hair and, uh, oh. In Brooklyn, so but, nice. Did he give you the head massage? Over, he did. He washed my hair every once in a while. I think. Yeah, he gave me the hot towel thing. You know, yes. it was like, ooh, remember was Richie worked at our buddy Richie is a you know like upscale hair salon guy who looks like a biker. Um, I remember he used to tell me he's like, come to the place in Hoboken, maybe get a little stoned. I'll make you a coffee. Sit down. I'll rub your head. And I was like, I don't even know what's happening. I went and did it. And I was like, man, I want to come back every day. This head massage feels great. Yeah, he uh, he's he's definitely made the process good for me. <laughs> you know, I was like, 
I'm cool with getting a haircut now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I know him, so I was like, it was fine. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah. I mean, did you grow your hair out because you just like didn't feel like dealing with it? Is that uh, <laughs> similar vibe? Yeah, well, yeah. Now, I mean, I'm kind of at that point where so that is what happened. And anyone who's like a Gaslight fan can actually tangibly see it because I, like, right in the middle of like a whole like album cycle went from like a long hair to a baldy real quick for like a couple years. <laughs> I actually uh, did it to no one's knowledge enough that my, my now wife, then girlfriend showed up to a show and didn't know who I was. Cause I had just shaved my head randomly. And that night I was uh, going to get the van out, uh, behind the show. I don't remember somewhere in New York and I'm pulling around and all I hear on the I hear a slap on the side, like, and I'm like, I thought I hit something. I like slam on the brakes. I'm like, fuck, like what happened? And some big guy starts running towards the front. He's like, get the fuck out of the van. Get the fuck out. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I like turn around and it's Alex Levine's dad, Scott, <laughs> who thought I was stealing the fucking van. And I'm like, Scott, you're, and he's like, uh, he works in like Midtown, like fixing like MTA buses. Like you don't. I would not want to fuck with this guy. You know what I mean? And yeah. And he's like right in front of the thing. I'm like, Scott, it's me. It's me. It's me. I'm just pulling around. I'm just pulling around. He's like, oh, don't shoot. Don't like, shoot. Fucking Benny, what are you doing, man? I'm like, I, I'm just driving. He's like, your hair. I'm like, I know. I know. <laughs> so, but now I'm at the reverse point, which is like, I've had it so long and my beard and my mustache are starting to turn a little salt and pepper, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm pretty concerned about what happens if I shave my head now. Like, mm, I don't know what, yeah. what what's coming back, if it's coming back. You know, I kind of almost feel like I'm just trimming this thing for a long time. I'm, I don't want to dig into it too much. I'm afraid, you know? Are you, th- you think you're going to be like a... I always wondered this about myself. Like the, uh, the classic engineer, like... Um, <laughs> you know, look, I guess would be like a black t-shirt tucked into some jeans that like should have been given away 20 years ago. And then a long ponytail. It's just like, and I'm like inches. I could be that. The you know, salt, I could do that. Are we right talking now, the but, salt and pepper one? Or are you dying? It? Yeah. Ex- yeah. Ex- I mean, like yeah. you, you obviously let it go great because yes. that's totally the fucking look. Yes. You know, um, like, are you just going to just go? I, I, I can't figure out if like, I'm just going to have a moment where I'm like, fuck it. And I cut my hair, but then I'm like, am I going to, am I Metallica? Cutting my hair. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it's like you get to a point where you're like, this is what I look like. Yes. You know? And I do remember a point. Now there's another element at play here, which is my kids. Like, I remember when my father shaved his beard when I was a kid. And we didn't fucking like it. <laughs> you know, it like proper freaked me out. Where yeah, I, my like, dad did out the mustache. I like same didn't thing. trust him after. Like, something changed. <laughs> You know, it's like, that's not him, man. Exactly. It's, not him. it's some new version, you know, and like, yeah. And I, you know, my kids have only seen this mustachioed, long haired Danny Trejo looking motherfucker. It's their reality. <laughs> this is what they know, you know? So there, there's that element at play too, you know? The one good Definitely. thing for me is at least the hair could easily turn into that for me. The jeans and the tucked in shirt. If I stay married, that won't happen. <laughs> you know, I think that's True. where you draw that line. If if I'm like every other engineer and I'm on like my third wife, 
Sure, the jeans are going to look like hell. Like I don't even I don't even know if they are jeans by that point. They could just be basketball shorts full time. But if if I'm in this scenario, I can't see myself letting it get that far. Tuck it in, tuck it in, and cover it with a leather fanny pack. There you go. I mean, perfect. Depends where you live too. Like like Brad couldn't get away with that look. Because he has like the New York City pressure, you know, he's like yeah. taking his kids to school and all the people there look super hip. And, you know, in Nashville, though, you could get away with some fucking mom jeans real fast. <laughs> yeah. I could definitely I could change my look like tomorrow and no one would bat an eye. You, you know could go I mean? mom I could just- jeans and oversized sweaters, straight yep. ponytail <laughs> tomorrow. Uh, and any hat that I want. You know, like anything. Yeah. I could just, I could just go for it. You know, can you tell me about this one quote I found of you on the internet? I'm going to read it verbatim in the voice that I imagined reading it. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I've achieved some of the best tones of my career through warm audio gear. I love having the sound and spirit of the vintage equipment I learned on without the expensive repairs, reliability issues and high overall cost. Kevin A. Die. <laughs> Did you actually say that to someone? Because it doesn't Hell no. sound right. I wrote that in an email for sure, dude. That's that's me like sitting there like, what do I say? Yeah, okay. You know? Dude, that's hilarious because that's almost exactly like I, uh, you know, the, our, our, our label and our manager were like, can you write a few lines about the songs that you're going to premiere before the record, because, you know, we, we had a guy do a bio, but you didn't talk about the specific songs. Just give me a couple sentences on each song. And I took like two days on two like fucking sentences. And they like look back and I was like, Oh, I sent them to the band. And like, then we were on a zoom doing something else. And I was like, Oh, by the way, did anyone look at those? And like Ethan was like trying to be as nice. Probably he's like, it's the kind of thing that if I like read that, I'd be like, who the fuck is this douchebag? <laughs> you know, like just straight off the bat, I was like, okay, so scrapping those. Right. And that's exactly what that Moving sounds on. like for sure. Okay. It's like, um, that's definitely some, some, like I wrote that, um, just sitting there like, w- like warm being the kind souls. They are uh, giving me a, a deep discount on gear. And, right. and then they're like, Oh, we'll put you on our, on our website. We just need like a quote. And I, that was me just being like, yeah, that's my inner nerd for sure. And and is it a thing that you put your middle name as an A when you only write nerdy shit? Uh, so I've been doing that for my producer career ah. because there's a Kevin Dye who was an arsonist that lit a bunch of shit on fire and I didn't want to be oh. associated with him. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Do you know there's also some kind of like celebrity Kevin named Kevin Gates? Oh, hell yeah, dude. You know because I think I'm in a lot. So a lot of the people... You meet on tour. Yeah. You you like put your, you know, you oh, get their yeah, number at the Kevin end of the tour. Gates. Yeah, sure. yeah. Like you're probably like Benny Gaslight, the, like a, a bunch of people's, people's phones, phones. You know yeah, what I mean? Sure. And I'm Kevin Gates and like a lot of phones, yeah. you know, okay. like, and, and, uh, hilariously enough, he has a song called Two Phones too, which it all, it's all connected, you know. But actually, if you search, even if you just search Gates on Apple Music, he comes up. You don't even get us, you oh. know, like it's just like all oh. his songs. And I keep thinking, like, like come on, Apple! Like, we, there's no extra words you can tack on to our band name after that. Well, this it's guy's, just gate. This like, guy's popular. Oh yeah, it's like millions and millions yeah, of plays. I'm just learning. Like, I, I don't. I'm afraid to say I'm not too up on my New Orleans hip hop right now. But yeah, I, I think I only know a few songs because everyone was telling me about <laughs> him. 
for obvious reasons. He was actually going to play Bonnaroo. So every time he's playing something that I'm going to I'm like, oh, yeah. He's been married since 2015. That's crazy because I think he had a song about like having sex with his cousin or something. I remember everyone telling me that it was like a really weird thing. It was like something disgusting and gross. And everyone was like, oh, you know? I'm like, I don't, I don't follow him even though like <laughs> I'm in a band called Gates and my name is Kevin. <laughs> I don't follow this guy's weird lifestyle, but, um, but yeah, I also would love to, uh, you know, get a feat, uh, you know, produce his track, you know, Kevin Gates, Kevin of Gates producing Kevin Gates. Let's do it. Let's do the collab, you know? Yeah. I mean, he was charged with battery for kicking a fan. Ugh. Um, See? That's happened to you a couple times, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, it's just too much confusion, yeah. you know? You really got to separate yourself from this guy. You got to get your face tattoos removed. And really start taking those hip hop bars out of gate songs, man. It's getting there's a picture of me somewhere on our Instagram next to like a like a he was there's like a flyer for his show <laughs> at a venue we were at. I'm like standing next to it too. Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a a thing. B and you and this dude is 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 funny <laughs> to me. I'm gonna keep doing it. Listen, In every way. he had a self released debut EP called "The Sun Will Rise and Lead Me Home." It kind of sounds like a fucking Gates record to me. <laughs> that is a Gates record. That's, that's too funny, man. All right, Kevin, thanks so much for doing that, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, man. I thanks. appreciate it. I'm sorry our ruse didn't go too well. We'll we'll work on being bigger bastards in the future. So good. We got just got to work it out. <laughs> it's tough when we record these a uh, while before i don't I forget what did, did i say did, what did i say right at the end something fantastic that i should <laughs> that i should be going off of i don't know but <laughs> please listen to the new gates record follow this band you will enjoy it you will enjoy the journey yeah you can follow him at gates music both on instagram and twitter and kevin is kevin a die on instagram and kev underscore rants on twitter and we haven't mentioned it much in the last few episodes because you and i've been fairly useless but <laughs> uh we do have a patreon it is how we fund the program uh we will be a little more active on there now that Brad and I are a bit more settled. And uh, yeah, fun stuff happens on there and more fun stuff will be happening. So if you like the program and you would like to support it, you can uh, find a way to give us money. Become a patron at patreon.com slash going off track. Yeah. Or do the stars thing or blah, blah, blah. Speaking of stars, this will go quick, okay? I know you're afraid. <laughs> Do you know that I, I, I go to a weird article today. This is the headline of the article. Former manager of DOD aerospace threat program, in quotes, UFOs are real. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, cool story. I'm like, these are people with, you know, high level, uh, you know, clearance who know all this stuff. It's a 25 year veteran of in the. CIA, a Lockheed Martin program director for Skunk Works, uh, former deputy assistant secretary for intelligence, this whole thing. And guess who put it all together? Uh, Tom DeLonge. Oh, gosh. Today marked the official launch of the TTS AAS, which is To the Stars Academy of Arts and Science. Uh. 
and he's launching this like gigantic thing. But the people he kind of uh, brought into this are actually saying some really, really wild stuff about not just the fact that all these things are assuredly real, that they're going to be releasing even like higher level video footage of it. And, and it's not anymore just about like uh, the fact that they're, they're beyond the fact that they're admitting that this is real. And now they're like, we really need to figure out how to use this technology. And that's what like their group is about. And Tom DeLonge's final message of the evening was no one person, one government or one hidden institution should own this information and technology. <laughs> you know, like, here's the funny part about this. You know, I'm all about aliens. I think this shit's real. Like, probably is. Like, I, I don't fucking know any better. The thing I love about this is if you made, like, a time capsule right now, and it was found, like, hundreds and hundreds of years from now, this person that, to me, was made famous with, like, super silly Southern California punk rock songs like doing videos naked songs about just like burritos and surfing. Right. We all know like that. He's not gonna be remembered for that. Like if you put this name in a time capsule now, he could be the one who like in hundreds of years, they're like without his innovation, we would have never traveled to this planet and saved our species and blah, blah, blah. Hey Benny, I, uh, I'm not worried about that happening. Well, listen, I'm just saying Tom DeLong <laughs> is tracking in a very interesting uh, way. And I think it's a key to us all, Brad, us old men. You can always make a pivot in life, you know? Yeah. When you have $100 million at your disposal, <laughs> you could make any pivot you'd like. Okay. I think that's the moral of the story. Build a fucking flying saucer, Tom. Make it happen. Yeah, Tom, come on. Let's get real here. Use and I want tech. one without wings. Without engines, it's just supposed to shoot around like these things we're seeing. Come on. <laughs> get it done. Magnets, right? It's magnets. A- anti-gravity field. No, don't get me. Don't get, I, I think it's magnets. <laughs> I think if they use magnets, they're finally going to get this done. <laughs> That's what I think. Maybe. You might be right. Mag- magnets are pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah, magnets. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's leave. <laughs> Next week. More fun. <laughs> More magnets. Yeah.